Attention, podcast listener. We've got an exciting new podcast coming just for patrons of patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Talking Futurama Season 2 Part 1 has begun exclusively for our $5 and up patrons on the Talking Simpsons Network. That's the first 10 episodes of Futurama coming to you once a week. So just sign up for $5 a month at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons and you'll get Talking Futurama Season 2 and all of our limited miniseries, including the entirety of Talking Futurama Season 1. That's 13 episodes. That is patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Now please enjoy the rest of this podcast. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody and welcome to Talking Simpsons where gangrenous limbs wait for us in heaven. I'm your host Cloud Talker Bob Mackey and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who else is here with me today? Henry Gilbert, known for my irreverent attitude. It's very true and who is on the line? I am Matthew Jane. When I was your age, I pulled a few boners as well. Who hasn't? <laughs> and today's episode is The Telltale Head. I think you'll find that people are pretty decent if you give them half. <laughs> there it is. The head. Yeah! Today's episode aired on February 25th, 1990. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. <gasps> Oh boy, Bobby, the continuation of Mission Impossible as a television series is canceled after Mm. two seasons. Smoking is banned by the U.S. government on all American flights that are less than six hours in length. And look who's talking is number one at the box office, baby. I mean that baby, literally. Literally, baby. Yes. So the Mission Impossible TV series, no one remembers it. Peter Graves was in it. The only lasting legacy of that was an NES game made by Konami. That's why there was a Mission Impossible game. Exactly. It was for that show. It's wow. based on that version of Mission Impossible. And we talked about it on Retro episode called Television Games wow. from a, a couple of years ago. So yeah, it's a really hard game, but the music <laughs> is amazing. It's Konami music of that era. It's uh, it's pretty cool. It's got one of the coolest uh, versions of that intro uh, that I've ever heard. It's also funny with Look Who's Talking uh, that they, you know, the, the novelty of what if a baby had Bruce Willis's voice? And there's there's also a shot in it that I'm just like, this seems dangerous of a baby. Sta- I only watched the trailer again, but like the toddler baby, he stands in the middle of traffic, but uh, it's a good faked shot, at least, mm. of an endangered baby. And also John Travolta, like it's his, it's five, four years before Pulp Fiction. This, I think, is his like nadir of his career. Oh, yeah. Like, so this uh, was a number one hit in the theater, so what am I talking about? Right before, yeah, it was a huge movie, and right before Pulp Fiction was Look Who's Talking Now. Yes, that's right. That's Same. why we get the joke, yeah, looks like. <laughs> he was in a bad place. What was the other news? Uh, it was that the government in the United States banned smoking on all flights less than six hours in length. What like, a nightmare. It's uh, there's uh, I, In my research on this, I read a really good New York Times article from um, like the 25th anniversary of when this happened. And they talk to people who were flight attendants then, and they're like, you know, how crazy it is to our generation to even imagine smoking in an airplane like that. 
that would never happen. And the flight attendant is just like, yeah, it was a big tube filled with smoke. It was it was horrible to do to the flight attendants. It's it, it's unimaginable it was legal for that law. Yeah, I felt bad enough for people in uh, bars and restaurants mm-hmm. when they had to breathe in all that smoke. <laughs> the law first just said any flight less than six hours. So if you're on a super long flight, they'd still let you smoke. They felt bad for the smokers. Smokers' rights. Slowly but surely over the years, that lessened more and more. Uh, by the end of the 90s, you couldn't smoke on any American origin flight. And at this point, virtually every airline won't let you smoke in the, all around the world. If you watch the uh, the Twilight Zone episode, Terror at 20,000 Feet, the William Shatner one, there are three markers of that show that make it a very, very uh, ancient timepiece about flying at that time. <laughs> so number one, everyone is dressed up. Everyone's wearing like a suit and a tie or like a nice dress to fly <laughs> because people used to do that. Number two, somebody on the plane is armed. Probably more than one person, but at least one person has a gun, (laughs) which William Shatner uses in that episode. And number three, they're smoking. (laughs) They're smoking on the plane. (laughs) So I love watching that episode just to see, like, God, air travel was a nightmare. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, he shoots the window out, right? He does, yeah. I, yeah. I I guess you can do that now and just grab it from an air marshal. That's yeah, what, but which uh, one is the air marshal? <laughs> uh, They're all hiding. Yeah. Well, that was the best joke. That was one of my favorite jokes in Bridesmaid was how uh, when Melissa McCarthy realized who the air marshal was and he was just like, uh, what are you talking about? She's like, oh, I know. <laughs> hey, I'm watching out too, buddy. Like, that's a good joke. Yeah. Her, yes. Whenever you see that guy in movies and you're like, no one would cast him. He's like a bald guy with a mustache. Like, he'd never be in movies. <laughs> That's how you know it's her husband again appearing in a film. Like, not that he's a bad actor, he's a great actor, but. Yeah, they write all those shitty movies that they get to keep making. Uh, yep, yeah. It's. it's... Was he in Happy Town Murders? Oh, for sure he's oh, in Happy Town Murders. Awful, yeah. awful. Uh, but hey, welcome back, Matt Jay, our friend. Yes, Matt Jay of The Deep End and Cartoons 101 Patreons. Very good uh, podcast episodes come out of both of those. Thank you. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. The Deep End, my Adult Swim podcast with my buddy Steve Yurko, uh, who works on Rick and Morty and, and is a very cool guy. And Cartoons 101, which I do uh, just series about animation, like I did uh, Satoshi Kone, just did Don Bluth. Uh, I'm starting today, actually, uh, or tomorrow. When you're listening to this, it's already happened. There is on non-Disney Renaissance 90s animated films with uh, a goofy movie. So I'm doing I'm my buddy Alec Robbins, uh, who the internet may know as Mr. Boop, will come on and, and oh. talk to me about a goofy movie. I love Mr. Boop, the comic. Yeah, that's my that's my friend Alec. Uh, I am, I'm very uh, happy for him that he can marry such a beautiful, hot woman, uh, <laughs> Betty Boop. He's also just a very funny, wonderful man uh, in his own right. I have oh, to say, yeah. so we did the Secret of Nymph for what a cartoon movie but you've been working your way or you have worked your way through all the Don Bluth movies and I love that you mm. got into it thinking Don Bluth was really good mm. but then by the fifth movie you're like what are we doing <laughs> why are we still doing this some stinkers I did not realize more than half of his his library was just awful like I thought they'd be like fun but like his bad movies there is absolutely nothing there to enjoy it's it's really it was there was a four week stretch uh, where I was like I might just cancel all of this <laughs> like I cannot do this anymore. The uh, that troll in Central Park, he's so wacky. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, oh, even God. Anastasia is uh, very expensive, but also not good. It's just like a very pretty bad movie. Mm. It's kind of boring. It's I think there's a lot to like there, but it's not a great movie. Bartok the Magnificent is actually much better and more mm. enjoyable. Uh, well, and also we did your Satoshi conversations about Tokyo Godfathers, and you really were yeah. ahead of the curve of the return of Satoshi Kon content to mm-hmm. America. Like, 
take. I uh, I take full uh, responsibility and credit for <laughs> Satoshi Kon, uh, his revival, uh, his post-mortem revival, as well as Evangelion being on Netflix. I yeah. think that was all me, both of those you, things. You did it all. I Especially, yes. like, I when we did the Tokyo Godfathers one, I am very excited to hear this fully new localization and translate mm-hmm. and, and a dubbing that seems to be done with much more uh, care and interest in the trans narrative of it than it that's true yes yeah yeah that woman from difficult people i'm I'm really excited i think it's tomorrow as of this or no wednesday it's it's a couple days from now as of this recording i'm I'm sorry to date it again you missed it uh, (laughs) i'm excited to see it in the theater and i got my millennium actress blu-ray too oh that's out now oh damn okay good times but uh but anywho thanks thanks so much for coming back matt jay like you uh as we always say in the age check portion of our podcast you were one of the ones who were born during the airing of this season i think right so uh, i was born in july 89 so right before the season starts right so you must have gotten to know season one just in reruns then oh yeah it was when i was a kid they didn't play season one that often and then when the dvd came out uh i was so excited because i was getting into dvd on tv and the simpsons were kind of the first ones to do it really well yep got season one and i was like oh my god I haven't seen almost any of these episodes. And I was like 13, maybe even 12. You know, the the conceptions people have of season one, a lot of people don't like it or say to skip it or anything because I was so young and just loved The Simpsons. I didn't think that at all. I just I just was like, this is Simpsons I've never seen. I love this. And I, I particularly, uh, I always think about the camp uh, camping episode, I think is my favorite of season one. Mm. And uh, I just saw it as more episodes. I was like, yeah, maybe it's slower and not as funny, but I like I devoured the commentaries. Uh, I was all about, I still have my my actual season one box set that I bought then. I think at uh, yeah, I bought it at Coconuts. Uh, oh, nice. oh, wow. The, uh, defunct store. Uh, if you mention a store name from 2000, it is almost certainly defunct. <laughs> F.Y.E. Yeah. 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 Uh, Sam Sun Goody, Coast. maybe. I might have mm. gotten it at Sam Goody. I feel a certain warmth pulling out my aged and ragged season one DVD I bought in, t- in the early aughts as well it's it's nice mm-hmm. and there's the special extra special difference to it now that we'll talk yeah. about later in this but this episode uh, uh, this podcast will have two i think new discoveries about mm-hmm. this episode it's fun so much fun to go back to these now with the second take and find new things for sure yeah, yeah. before we get started though we have a director's corner yes. a newcomer to the simpsons a very very esteemed uh, animator and director today this was his first job as director period so rich moore mm-hmm. so let's talk about rich moore really quickly director of this episode directed 17 total and he left in the season four exodus to be supervising uh, director on the critic yep and he is the designer of Ned Flanders. He designed that character. That's, uh, I mean, Rich Moore, what a massive amount of work he did in the four first four seasons, like directing 17 episodes of The Simpsons, but only in four years of it. Yeah. Pretty good, especially when he's a less, he was a lesser director in season one. Like, I think he was the guy who they subbed in when they fired the Saturday morning, the Kent Butterworths and Milton Grays. They're like, oh, shit. Uh, Rich, you could direct this, couldn't you? It seems like he was a later hire because yeah. he's not you know an almond guy or anything mm-hmm. like that so yes um he is in the show actually so yes. if you watch the show if you watch homer goes to college he is uh, gary the black nerd of the trio but he is not a black man he's a white man yes but 
that background character existed in the show. Like a caricature of him existed as a background character. So when they needed another nerd, they're like, this guy looks like a nerd. Let's just paint him brown Mm -hmm. and call him Gary. And that's uh, exactly what Rich looked like in the early 90s. He had really messed up teeth. Mm -hmm. And if you watch the critic DVD extras, he has braces in those. So he got his teeth fixed in the early 2000s. (laughs) Now he can just do Invisalign. It's true. uh, This is not an ad here. They are not a sponsor. but No. (laughs) But actually, if you watch the end of Marge versus the Monorail, you see three directors go over. David Silverman, Wes Archer with the beret for some reason, (laughs) and uh, also Richmore. They all go over the the escalator to nowhere. So since they fully had that character design there, that was the one that, that was at the end of season four. So Homer goes to college, one of the first in season five production. It's pretty soon after they just pull that uh, character out of the uh, the model. He packs. doesn't work here anymore. Yeah, also that. Let's change his race. <laughs> very, uh, very insensitive. A little, a little bit. So uh, he goes way back with uh, director Jim Reardon. Sorry, future director of The Simpsons, Jim Reardon. Mm-hmm. I believe they were in college together or in animation school together. At Cal Arts, I would assume. Uh, I don't want to say that for sure because okay. I didn't find that it information. It could be RISD. I could be wrong. It, it could, could be. It could be one of those two, but only those two. I, I'm guessing it was Cal Arts because he worked with Brad Bird, but more on that later. So if you watch the classic, uh, very messed up short, Bring Me the Head of Charlie Brown, you will hear Rich Moore do the narration. Real? That's oh, him. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. So wow. if you, if you've heard his voice on the commentaries, you'll recognize it immediately. <laughs> He's got a funny voice. He does. Yeah. Uh, so first credit I could find on IMDb is a really good one. So he was assistant animator on the Amazing Stories episode Family Dog. Oh, well. Wow. Okay. That's, I mean, yeah, Brad Bird, we talked talked about a lot in our Iron Giant uh what a cartoon movie that he has a real eye for good animators and if he if he picks you it does say something about the person's skill I think yeah. he was a Brad Bird bud yeah I mean look Brad Bird likes his buds too I'm not saying he's like he's not uh immune to cronyism aren't we all like sure so Rich Moore was in the pre-Ren and Stimpy John Chris Felucci world with uh, major roles on both the new adventures of Beanie and Cecil and Mighty Mouse the new adventures so. oh he's a backsheet Boy, yeah, I yeah. I see. He worked okay. with Bakshi. And my guess is if he didn't go on to work on The Simpsons, he would have worked on Ren and Stimpy. Mm-hmm. But he either uh, got a new opportunity or didn't want to work for an abusive pedophile. So <laughs> One of those two. One of the two. <laughs> well, Matt, you know, you did a whole Bakshi series on Cartoons 101 as well, right? Yeah. Uh, did all of his... his- films Bakshi's a very interesting guy uh I've I've heard a lot of things about him not being the nicest person to work for Mm -hmm. but when you're making you know independent films in the 70s I think you can expect that to be the case you know yeah I don't think any director before six years ago was ever nice to anyone (laughs) probably not it's true actually there's an entire awful episode of the Ren and Stimpy uh Spike TV series that's about Uh, working with Ralph Bakshi it's it's terrible and guess what he does his own voice I think he's still with us. Yeah, that's a whole bummer. His whole thing with... Because he's still... He's, like, problematic in that way, but he was very progressive and very smart and very political in a good way. So to have him so tied to John Kay is a a big bummer. But I think also, like, he's not one of the people that came up under John Kay and would, like, learn from him or, or... or enable him i think i think i think bakshi is just like i think he's he's far enough from that that it's okay well and rich rich moore being one of the bakshi guys like that shows the 
the kind of like uh, dirtier spirit I think that he has, uh, which is funny mm-hmm. knowing where he goes to in the future. But uh, that's true. So yeah, like I said before, from The Simpsons, he went to the critic. He was informally the supervising director, although I don't think he ever had that title officially on the on show. Critic? Yeah, like I was yeah. watching episodes and I was like, oh, there's no supervising director credit. I don't think they had that role yet. A guy was just doing that, and yeah. he wasn't being credited or paid to do that. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. it sounded like a pretty thankless role, even though he was like the director of their major episodes that redefined any looks. So yeah, I think I mean the the critic, as we learned from our podcast, a messy production done yeah. by uh, with a lot of different enemies hurting it. Yeah, yeah, and he was also one of the four character designers with like uh, Everett Peck, uh, David oh. Silverman, him, and uh, one other guy, I think David Cutler. So oh, okay. that's why there's no like distinct look for the critic because there's four people drawing all the characters. So from the critic, he went on to work for Futurama as the supervising Hell director. Yeah. So a lot of good work there. And those are just the Fox episodes, although I believe yeah. he had a, a like executive director role on uh, Bender's Big Score, the first Futurama movie. Yeah, I believe so. I I mean, that what a get that was to get Rich Moore on Futurama. Like that was the he getting him back into the grading world was really important. I'm glad they got him instead of him having to go to like fucking Baby Blues or some shit. Oh, uh, he directed one episode of Baby oh, Blues, that's, by the okay, way. OK, that's why that was in my brain. He <laughs> yes. did work on Baby Blues. Uh, just one episode. I think he was available. Okay. But uh, but he wasn't the super. I'll replace that with Dilbert. He wasn't the supervising director on Dilbert. He wasn't? Or was no, he? he wasn't. He wasn't. Okay, okay, uh, yeah. yeah, there was a real like critic to Futurama like artist pipeline. I think because of Rough Draft. Oh yeah, it's totally yeah. the Rough Draft machine. Yeah. Yep. And Greg Vanzo, of course, did the uh, Beauty and King Dork scene from yes. the first episode that uh, we talked about with Brother Scott Vanzo. Mm-hmm. So uh, interesting fact about him: uh, sequence director on the Simpsons movie, but also his last TV credit uh, as a supervising director is on half of Sit Down, Shut Up, oh. the show that famously split Oakley and Weinstein in two. Yeah. Although not because they were feuding or fighting or anything like that. It's because they want everyone to sign contracts that did not abide by WGA rules. They're like, we've achieved some of the same things, but Mm. this will not be on the same terms as the Writers Guild. It's close enough, right? Yeah, I mean, the as we talked about in our uh, second interview with Mike Scully, to get WGA rules on animated sitcoms, uh, network sitcoms back then, was a real struggle that they didn't achieve on The Simpsons until like 1999, thanks in part to scully working with seth mcfarlane as well to to get it set up at least at fox and so you think about how hard fought that was in 1999 and then in 06 for a new fox animated sitcom they're like you know what let's not do wga after all like i can see why some writers would uh, be against that it was you know? uh it was actually 2009 and i oh, think it was even worse. it was because of the writer's strike uh, yes. i read a lot of very boring variety articles about this for this podcast because <laughs> i was like what happened but it was because of the writer's strike and i think they're like we don't want to give these people like a union show look what they just did to us uh, so they're like here's this kind of similar wga contract that's why oakley was like no i am a, i'm in the writer's guild i make a, a shows for the writer's guild with with those rules i'm not going to do this but i'm Weinstein moving to portland did. i'm out of here exactly <laughs> yeah. and uh, i've never seen that show and uh, i watched one minute of it it's okay <laughs> created by mitch hurtwitz quote because he needed money unquote yes yeah well and <laughs> yeah the uh the whole union writing thing for animation versus live action split really sucks and affects a lot of people very negatively because there are in hollywood generally two unions the writers guild well there's a bunch of other guilds but for writers there's the writers guild and the, but if you work in animation unless you work 
work on a primetime show like Family Guy or The Simpsons, uh, you're probably in the animation guild, uh, which is IATSE, which is totally separate. And mm. some people have to be in both to be in union shows and to move from show to show because you're only working on a show for like six months mm. and then you have to find new work and then those people have to be in both guilds which means they have to pay dues to both guilds like mm. just to get you know just to make sure they have health insurance all year or Yuck. can like even be available to get those jobs because if you don't get enough uh, hours or episodes worked within the year you lose your coverage and you get Ooh. kicked out of the guild yeah. yeah so there's people jumping from <laughs> like you know like rick and morty to to the simpsons to family guy to ducktales or whatever and they're split between two things even though it's literally the exact same job no matter what show you're on no i uh i remember previous guest kate raft she talked about it on twitter yeah. and she was like if you have an, a cartoon show please hire me because i'm about to lose my That's animation right. insurance yeah. and my husband mm -hmm. needs asthma medication like, there's there was a, a quote-unquote funny moment on the commentary where they're talking about oh, yeah. um the price where Maggie is scanned, what that means, and Al G makes a joke is like, oh, that must be the, what the royalties are we get for this episode. And Richmore's like, you guys get royalties, huh? I don't. <laughs> and then there's a little pause where Richmore goes like, anyway, that's a nice drawing, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> I, I love the uh, kind of adversarial nature. I think they eventually learn through doing these commentaries, like, oh, we don't respect these people enough. Yeah, I, I'm hoping they learn that. And well, yeah. it's also funny because like Gene and Reese, I think, came, they go into that commentary with more respect for Richmore because he was. A, a high level animator on critic with them so he's not just a regular pencil pusher to to them but uh i mean uh, i'm sure they're friends with richmore and i mean now richmore is above them in status i would say actually that, very true so after uh sit down shut up doing half of that he went to disney mm. where he directed wreck it ralph uh, zootopia oh, yeah. and also ralph breaks the internet which i have not seen because it looked like the emoji movie it's a better emoji it's movie What's that, Matt? Uh, uh, it's bad. I was just going to say it's bad, and then Hank uh, complimented it, so I felt bad. Uh, all right, don't. Look, you you don't have to like it. it is, but <laughs> you know what? I don't even like Wreck-It Ralph that much. It's not bad. I just I saw it once. I don't want to see it again. I was sold a video game retro movie, and I mm. watched a candy movie. You did watch about Also movies. about Subway. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll say this. The direction is not the problem with that movie. It's oh, no. all script issues. No, that it, movie looks amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's sad that all the money and work they put into these jokes that okay so all the internet jokes are the exact jokes they made in the futurama episode about the internet from season two that richmore yeah. worked on oh yeah so the funniest thing i realized in that movie was that they make this whole movie that's about you know it's like every goddamn animated movie right now it's about dads watching their kids go to college yeah. that's what the movie's about mm -hmm. but the halfway through making it when they did the what they thought would be just a nice treat of like all oh, the princesses team up they then realize like oh no the princess team up movie is what everybody wants they don't want this that's the one so clip every I saw. ad was the princess team up movie yeah, yeah. That's, that's the one <laughs> clip i saw of it he also voiced uh zangief in the movie oh he, and, and he, oh sorry oh, the sour gumball sour yes. bill yeah. yeah and i think he does voices in zootopia i haven't seen that either but uh, yeah so he directed those three movies that's a good horny movie I, I, a lot of furries are way into it i've seen a very well illustrated comic about abortion starring oh, those two uh, main characters yes. i've never seen them drawn better in my life <laughs> they're rendered 
standard very uh, well. Look it up, everybody. It's not Rich- as disgusting as you would think. <laughs> and Richmore is an Oscar winner now, thanks to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, for Zootopia, that was the best animated movie of that uh, Oscars year, right? Yes, yeah. It, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Rich- and also for Wreck-It Ralph in 2012, when they did the promotional tour for it, I got to interview Richmore. I got to meet him in person mm-hmm. and uh, tell him, like, oh, I, uh, after it was over, I did a... Uh, now I look back on this and like, why did I even act professional? That job was bullshit. But in, I did act professional and just gave gave real questions only about Wreck-It Ralph. And then when it was over, I was like, I'm a giant Simpsons nerd. Uh, I know you're the director of Monorail. You're the greatest. And he's like, oh, thanks. I would have signed your DVDs if you brought them. I like, regret every moment I acted professionally in yep. the Games Press. It was not worth a it at all. A waste of time. Yes. Didn't matter. Uh, so in April of 2019, so almost a year ago, he announced that he left Disney for Sony Pictures Animation. I and he's this. He's working on something. I don't believe it's been announced yet. He's producer on something that's coming up, but he's not been attached as a director I mean, to he'll anything. be working on it for like three years before the trailer comes out, probably. I think right? so. But, I yeah. mean, they're doing very well. I mean, uh, Into the Spider-Verse. So um, Lord and Miller have a new movie. That, I mean, it's kind of about a dad, so I roll for me. It's always dads. But, it's always uh, I mean, that Spider-Man was about dads, too. Oh, yeah. No, couple dads, dads floating dads. around in there. It's always, I mean, <laughs> I just watched Onward, and Onward is up front about it being all about dads, which is... Dads are bigger heroes than soldiers. <laughs> On, Onward makes an interesting... You know what? This is too much of a spoiler for Onward. I can't... Please don't. Does anybody care? I, I think people out there want to see Onward. Okay, fine. The, at least to see The Simpsons shorts beforehand. Mm, but, we can uh, talk more about that on Talk to the Audience this yeah, month, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Matt, you probably haven't uh, treated yourself to the wonders of Onward yet, have you? Not yet. I, I, sometime this week, I think so. I, have, I, I think it looks fine. I have actually very little interest in it, but... I'm, I have the AMCA list, so I'm going to see it. <laughs> yeah, it may as well. The Sony Pictures Animation hiring Rich Moore is a big get for them. Like Until Spider-Verse, I just looked down on all of those, that that entire company, even though even though Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs was really good, but I always treated that as like that they accidentally made a good thing. All the rest of this is open season four and all that other <laughs> shit. But <laughs> I think they... Barnyard. After, <laughs> I think after winning that Oscar, they, they realized like... We could make good things, couldn't they we? They did Lego Movie too, right? That was Warner. That oh, was that Warner. was Warner. Okay. Yeah, I felt Lord Miller did. Yeah, I thought but so. That's why they hired Lord Miller away for Spider Verse. To uh, yeah. Anyway, but that's I'm, I'm excited to see what Richmore will be up to in uh, in two years or whenever when that trailer comes out. I figured he was on his way to be the next um, Phil uh, Lasseter. Oh, John Lasseter. John Lasseter. He yeah. was hired by John Lasseter. Uh, hey, let's not hold that against one him. of uh, one of the few <laughs> nice things he did. Oh yeah, uh, but he, I I wonder, you know, did he quit because he thought he'd get installed in the last position and mm. didn't like I don't know but this is just me spreading rumors and falsehoods <laughs> we'll never get rich more now <laughs> The Simpsons will be right back. Tonight. Lisa, you look lovely. Bart, assume the position. Meet Bart Simpson. Were you going to listen to rock music in Sunday school? Maybe. He's a chip off the old block. It's good. It's good. Catch The Simpsons at their Sunday best next. Hope you guys are enjoying this week's podcast on your personal stereo, as Marge would call it. And a big thank you to our guest, Matt J, for coming back on to chat with us about the Telltale Head. Follow him on Twitter at, at Mr. Matt J and check out his podcasts, Cartoons 101 
and the deep end. Also, if you like this podcast and want to hear more of it, as well as our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, you should consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. This supports me and Bob doing this as our full-time jobs, and you get so much for your support. Every episode of Talking Simpsons, one week ahead of time and ad-free, you can hear next week's right now. And the same goes for our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, where we talk about a different animated series once a week. Plus, you'd get access to over two dozen original interviews, many with folks who have worked on The Simpsons from the very beginning. Plus, our exclusive podcast miniseries, where we give the Talking Simpsons treatment to shows like King of the Hill, Futurama, and The Critic, with one coming for the complete series of Mission Hill very soon. All that for just five bucks a month at patreon.com slash talking simpsons. But if you really want to share the wealth the way Homer says, you should sign up at the $10 level for all the premium things. You get all that $5 stuff I just talked about, plus our monthly What a Cartoon movie podcast where we talk about a different animated feature film once a month. Just did The Great Mouse Detective. This month, we're doing the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, and you'll get to hear those, plus over a dozen previous ones, too, that include films like Batman Mask of the Phantasm, Akira, a Goofy movie, and so, so, so much more. You got to hear all of those over 50 hours of exclusive premium podcasts at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. But yes, onto the Telltale Head. Oh, yes, actually. Oh, one more I, thing? Sorry, I wanted to spotlight somebody real quick. Oh, sure. This, uh, well, first off, this episode's boarded by Rich Moore as well as Stephen Dean Moore. And, future director. And Barry Caldwell, who's future nothing on Simpsons. But, well, because he, I think he was one of the Saturday morning guys who didn't work out. And so after this, he went straight to Tiny Toons, Animaniacs, and then a bunch of things that are not as good as that. Mm. Um, but no, the person I wanted to spotlight was Tress McNeil. Oh, right. Yeah. This is her first appearance in the series. Playing a character she would not play in the future. No. Oh, Maggie Roswell takes over that voice, though. She would stay as Dolph. She she, oh. she kept playing uh, uh, Dolph after this. Pamela Hayden is Jimbo. Yes. And yeah. uh, Dolph is uh, Tress McNeil, and Kearney is Nancy Cartwright, right? He, I believe that yeah. is it. Yes, yeah. So she's she's Dolph, the least liked member of the trio, the, the one who nobody remembers. Who I believe uh, former guest of the show, Ian Boothby, gave him a last name. But oh. the show has retconned where uh. there's a Simpsons comic where it's revealed his parents are hippies. But in a future Simpsons episode, it was revealed that he's Jewish and his last name is Shapiro. Dolph Shapiro. Yeah. I guess that gets him away from the Adolphness of his name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you want to back away from that. Uh, but yes, Tress McNeil, uh, she would do, you know, a few. I looked through her credits just in Simpsons alone, and she would make like random appearances here and there, but she was not as used as often as Pamela Hayden, her major characters were more sporadic appearing. And that it was really in season seven when they started getting her to appear much more by season nine. She's just a regular oh, yeah. season series regular. According to IMDb, 
544 episodes of Simpsons mm. she's credited on now. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, once Lindsay Nagel became a recurring character, she's she's a regular Simpsons employee from then on. And and I believe we also got to see, me and you, Bob, see Tress McNeil do a Bart impersonation. Yes, <laughs> it sounds just like the Bart she did on uh, Tiny Toons. As uh, Lester. The, oh, Lester, yeah. Well, also the Lester Bart she did in the uh, Itchy and Scratchy episode. Mm-hmm. But you're right, when Babs Bunny impersonated Bart Simpson, that was also the voice she used. And there's also a uh, an episode of Tiny Toons that's an SNL parody that's hosted by a Bart Simpson parody. It's very that's confusing. Right? Yeah. But I was noon live. Oh yeah. yeah. Confused me as a kid. I thought it was uh, real. <laughs> I did not understand it like, that it was not a real show. Burt Stampson or something uh, stupid like that. Yeah. But no, we saw her in person. She's uh, she's sparkling. Yes, she's Tress McNeil is a living legend of voice acting. Like she is the June foray of our day, as uh, Josh Weinstein even called her on a commentary. Mm-hmm. Like she's, I mean, her most iconic roles are she's Daisy Duck. She'll be Daisy Duck till she's dead. She's Babs Bunny, which is like her huge breakout role in Tiny Toons. She did a bunch of bullshit on like Hanna Barbera crap before that, but when she got cast as as Babs in in 1990, that was her her big moment, and then. And she continued on as the female lead dot warner in animaniacs and she's just in everything she's also wilma flintstone whenever oh, wilma flintstone okay. stuff that's another major thing i i looked at her career like she got her start as uh there's a there's a cute little interview that that sounds like i'm demeaning nancy cartwright <laughs> but it's a cute interview between nancy and tress about getting into the voice acting world and tress talks about it like yeah she was cartoon loving child who just loved to do silly voices around the house and by the time she got into college she got into radio where she could just do sound alikes and joke voices all the time and uh, she moved to hollywood with the intention of you know either radio or voice acting and she also she said a huge thing that helped her was getting into improv for over a decade in starting in the 80s oh. she was in the groundlings in los angeles hmm. like on the uh, the groundlings website is really helpful that you can look at alums like her and it'll list like groundling shows that she was in and the whole cast was in it so in multiple shows she was in with phil hartman and john lovitz and kathy Griffin oh, wow. and and also edie mcclurg edie oh, mcclurg was a groundling i didn't know that like, she's I, she's lovely yeah it's it's so funny that i it's I just thought of Edie McClurg as sort of like the character she was always cast as to play, like, ooh, the nice lady. But she was, she she's like the Betsy Sidaro of her time. Oh, I that's think. a great like, comparison. Yeah. And yeah, it is. It's uh, this looking into the groundling stuff. It gave me so much more perspective. Like today, I know all of these improvisers because they were first on comedy podcasts and now they're being, you know, the new generation of voice actors. That's what Tress McNeil's generation Mm. of groundlings was. We just couldn't see their improv shows because we didn't live in los angeles and they didn't spread them around and there were no podcasts in the 80s yeah. unfortunately <laughs> oh and tress tress was a buddy of uh the Wee herman show too she was an early ah. uh, cast member on that and, and friend of weird al <laughs> she's in the uh, oh ricky video yes yeah playing uh, lucille ball yeah that's right she's so funny in that video and uh she also uh, is a graduate of uc berkeley so oh, wow. right down the street from here that's great there should be a statue of tress mcneil <laughs> in our town uh she's she's amazing and yes i mean her most iconic 
character is Agnes Skinner, like that is, uh, on Simpsons, her most iconic character, Agnes Skinner. She's great. We got to watch her do Agnes in person. Yes. It rules. I, I think she was probably hired because she was one of the Saturday morning voices they had, like Susan Blue, who we talked about before, or other Saturday morning voices that didn't stick around. But Tress and Maggie Roswell, they did stick around for, for a real long time. And then Rusie Taylor, too. So some did, some didn't. But they were damn lucky to get Tress right as she was moving oh, yeah. on up. Like they, they were lucky to be. Uh, maybe she did fewer voices until season seven because she's so busy with Tiny Toons and Animaniacs for like seven years straight. She was in the Warner Brothers uh, Silver Age Mines. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yes, yeah, so I just wanted to tribute to Tress McNeil. Again, 544 episodes. That's, that's crazy. That's, I never think of her as being that many. She does work than uh, Harry Shearer does on the show now. 100%. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about her just for a quick second. Just because oh. she, she has this incredible quality about her that she's this, like, everyone trusts her. Like, she's this amazing utility player that she is She is the woman uh, voice actor version of Phil Hartman for these shows for The Simpsons of Futurama where, like, there are so many voices that you're like, why isn't that like a celebrity like i the one i always think of is um on futurama the the bureaucrat lady the dirty boy dirty 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 like (laughs) why isn't that you know carmen electra or whoever the hell like you would get at the time that futurama did fall into a little bit the simpsons trap of having celebrities come in but like they would have a one-shot character come in and they would let her play them because she doesn't sound like one of the main people and can totally stretch it Mm-hmm. Uh, and and have it feel totally unique, even though she is this regular cast member on the show. You know, like they just let her run wild. Like she ends up being uh, more like used than some of the main cast members just because she can feel like she's like Dave Herman as well. Like yeah. these people that can just do any voice. And uh, just to, to duck nerd about it for a second, you mentioned <laughs> that she's Daisy Duck and has been for like 20 years. Daisy is a character that kind of had a personality for a long time. Like she was this like she was mostly like Donald's girlfriend. And, and she was she could be like kind of a harpy sometimes like she they usually used very like very typical women personality traits for her in cartoons a lot to give Donald a foil that's like she makes him go shopping for him or whatever. Yep. And she found in that this very modern strong woman takes no shit from her like boyfriend who has anger issues and she will not <laughs> deal with it and like give her her own issues like the modern Daisy is one of the most defined for people that always complain about the the big, you know, five or six Disney characters as being personality lists or whatever, the modern Daisy is like one of the greatest cartoon characters ever because of what Tress uh, saw in that character and was able to bring to it. And now when you go to the parks or whatever, a Daisy acts like that comes from Tress, I think. The sassiness of her. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah I, I'm looking forward to Daisy has been confirmed to be in DuckTales season three. Mm. So bring everybody oh, aboard. It's so good. Bonkers <laughs> is still holding out for more money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so one last thing. Matt mentioned that uh, Trust McNeil plays a lot of, uh, you know, roles that would be guest characters or guest stars. I think a lot of what happens is that uh, she will come in and do the temp track and they just sort of like, well, she did a great job. Let's just yeah. have this be the character. Yeah. Or, or they can't get Stalker Channing in some yeah. cases. In, in the case of Belle in the Maison Derriere, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, Tress McNeil, what a what a hero. But uh, I guess now at 40 minutes, Yay. why don't we talk about... Hey, we had some <laughs> stuff to cover, two oh, new yes. people on the show. But this episode, it's so important. But watching it again, and I don't know, even know what I said five years ago, but it's kind of a mess. Oh, and yeah. And there is so mm. much of what Al Jean and Mike Reese would do in the future in this episode. Bad, bad things they would do. Although... Well, 
it wasn't their fault. No. It was taken out of their hands and sort of uh, retrofitted where the the third act was split in half because it was not good. Mm. So you see half of, the fir- half of the third act up front and the other half at the end. I, I think for better and worse, this taught Gene and Reese the power of editing last minute and rock and rolling voices doing ADR. Like it is an important ability to fix an episode at the last minute. Like it was something Brad Bird, one of his biggest praises of Simpsons I found in looking at interviews where he talked about Simpsons was him learning from them. Like, Oh, that's, you can edit something till the last minute and only the day before the show airs. You're like, it finally works. We finally get it to work. Like, but I think that showed them they could edit, edit too much and they edit to death i mean we've we've said about the movie that's the worst thing about the movie yeah or like lose confidence in a show they've seen too many times yeah yeah but and this i think is the most heavily edited and 80 yard episode of season one like there's a lot of fixes going on especially in the first two minutes Uh, i feel like all of the third act that we see uh that's split up like i think like 80 percent of the dialogue is uh, done after the fact like re-recorded and you know matched to new animations or like rock and roll video edits on the mounds. And uh, also I went back to our interview with Mike Reese we did about a year and a half ago. I asked him in his book, he lists like these are the 10 most important episodes of Simpsons I did or whatever. And Telltale Head wasn't on there. And I asked him like, well, you know, this is a pretty important episode. It introduces all these characters. It's the first one where Springfield feels like a defined city. And it's the first time there's a mob. And his defense was just like, yeah, but it's just a messy episode. I'm kind of ashamed of it. He says like, he just remembers that as a script that died at the table read and it's not one of his favorites that has his name on it. So, yeah. And you think it's going to be a pair. I mean, if you see the title, you think it might be a parody of that short story, but that figures into it for about eight seconds. <laughs> and on the commentary, Mike Reese was like, this never worked. This Telltale Heart mm-hmm. stuff just wasn't funny and never worked. Yeah, they did it much better in, uh, well, the season six airing Lisa's Rival. Mm, that that's was, true. It was a much better Telltale ad. I mean, I think I hear something. <laughs> I feel bad for Richmore that his first directing one is like oh start with well actually not start with but do a giant mob a bunch of group scenes and th- but i think at least in there they were lucky that they finally had enough to find characters in springfield to fill the mob with definable people it's true this started the trend of like if there's a mob it will have characters that uh, the viewers will recognize the problem with that is which i think is funny is like you always see the mobs or you see the people in court or like at a restaurant or in church. You're like, why is Mr. Burns here? Why is Skinner <laughs> at the itchy and at the itchy and scratchy trial? Like you ask all these questions, but they just want to put characters you recognize in these scenes. And uh, I, well, actually, yes, let's hear the first mob here as uh, they are yelling at Bart. This whole thing was my fault. You run along. Son, we're in this mess together, no matter how tempting it might be. I can't let my only boy get ripped limb from limb by a bloodthirsty mob. Oh, Dad. We'll die together like a father and son should. Look, now we got him. Hey, let's call the Simpsons. And his kid, Bart. Let's kill them. Bring him out. Off the kid, man. Off the kill, Bart. Let's kill these guys. Murderous mob, I beg you to spare our lives. At least until you've heard the story of how we ended up with the head of our beloved town founder. How long will this story take? Uh, about 23 minutes and 5 seconds. It's too long. 23.05? Well, all right, go ahead. Okay, it all started Sunday morning. Kids, we're late for church. Get your butts down here right now. 
And that's where the episode originally started. Yeah, I'd remember this episode is much more boring if it just started with Marge saying, get your butts down here right now for church. So I think they made the right choice to move that up in the episode. Mm -hmm. But yeah, everything is just very ADR. I mean, that Dan line of like, well, okay, better be quick. Like that's that's a very good just Dan improv line there. <laughs> I do love the Harry Shearer off screen. It's too long. It's too long. Yeah. <laughs> I laugh whenever uh, I hear that. And uh, they want to murder them. It's so weird to hear like genuine murderous intent in so many Springfieldians, like for cutting the head off a statue. Yeah, I, I think Krusty's first spoken lines on the series proper are about killing Bart. Yeah, it's like kill him. Yeah, that's his, I think I believe that's his first word uh, in the show. He was. In the, uh, this is the first time on screen for yeah. Krusty, though we've seen him in posters throughout the season. I said Siri speaking role. Yes. Although yeah. he was uh, on the shorts. Yes. Yeah. Uh, one of them, at least. And, and in this episode, Dan is still doing the shorts voice, which is much more his impersonation of Bozo, the Chicago yeah. Bozo, by... Krusty gets busted. He's got it a little more close to what we think of as the Krusty voice. He's not quite as world weary yet. It's, it's more <laughs> up here. Yeah. Uh, also, yes, it, it starts off with Homer saying, I pulled a few boners, which uh-huh. I think they knew what they were saying then. Uh, I still I love that uh, that Batman comic where the Joker's talking about boners oh, all the time. boners. <laughs> it uh, rules. Uh, Mike Reese even has a funny thing he says on a commentary of like, I was watching this at home and saw that it changed to have this at the opening. Like, he didn't know they made it, that change. They did it after the color screening. So after yeah. all the animation came back at the last minute, they're like, let's just move everything around. Yeah, yeah. This this needs a stronger opening than the, fa- the family goes to church. And also, yeah, to see Grandpa at the front of the mob, it's like he's going to murder his son and grandson. And Patty and <laughs> Selma are there, are there too. They are going to murder their nephew, their what? beloved nephew. They will rip him apart one character i noticed because they really needed characters like way in the back is miss bots um oh. uh, colored differently oh, so I she even that. she's there wow. it's, oh it is, it's worth mentioning too we talk about production order this is the last one in production order before xmas like mm-hmm. xmas is seventh in production this is sixth so, so you're supposed to see all of these before the christmas special yes yeah which it's funny to hear skinner say before the christmas special it's that boy bart kill him <laughs> uh and I mean, the more you think about the the history of lynch mobs in America, it's even darker. These this bit here, but it's it's funny how long they've just had the lynch mob be central to the Simpsons world. Like it's it just always happened. Yeah, from the very first season, and we see some nice redesigns of characters. So we have non flesh yeah. hair Barney. His hair is finally a non flesh color, and also a newly designed Smithers with his yeah. green jacket. And Smithers is who he will be. For the rest of the series, Smithers like, is truly himself. Yeah, here. yeah, he. Yeah, they make. Yeah, yeah, he loves Mr. Burns' joke. I was surprised to see that so early. Yeah, it it was an interesting choice. They finally figured him out. Like in his first appearance, of course, we all know about Black Smithers, but his middle appearance, where his skin is white, but he's still wearing the lab coat. He's he's obsequious to Burns, but not fully the guy who blows his nose for him you know and says the feeling is more than mutual sir (laughs) and it's Uh, funny that uh so about five episodes ago or maybe four al jean and mike reese wrote no disgrace like home this has the exact opposite dynamic where marge is the person trying to whip the family into shape and homer is the bad parent (laughs) and lisa is not even on the table in this episode she has like two lives i think she explains valhalla and um i think she says it's so sad 
Yes, yeah. <laughs> she's she's mainly just a sounding board for like here's how you should feel. But uh, oh, before we get done with the flash forward though, the I I love Homer says like we'll die together like a father and son should. Yeah, and no, ma- <laughs> and no matter how tempting it may be, I can't let you be ripped apart limb from limb by a bloodthirsty mob. Uh, <laughs> and also to get to the town square, this is not fully consistent in like every Simpsons video game or something. But in a lot of them, the town square with uh, the Springfield statue in the center is pretty consistent. Yep. I in virtual Springfield, you start at that uh, at the statue, and you do see the pretty much the town square as it's shown in this episode. Got to have that candy there. store there; it's always <laughs> there. Good. We love that dandy candy. <laughs> and the head getting cut off the statue becomes this indelible Simpsons memory that to the point that uh, it's in the intro now, like the HD intro. <laughs> has the head fall off, I think. And yeah, it was also it referenced on... on the South Park episode about the Simpsons and Family Guy as yeah. like the worst thing Bart's ever done. Yeah, no, you're right. I I get I I've watched that HD intro so many times where where Ralph gets hit in the head with the falling head. I never mm-hmm. thought about that that's because Bart cut the head off and it's still loose. It for <laughs> yeah, some they just re- put it back on in the end of the episode. Nobody like adheres it to it at all so it's just loose forever it's like swivels back on <laughs> i never took that as a full callback to this episode but you're totally right totally right yeah, i've been but... watching a lot of uh see we've been playing a little game in our apartment because uh we watch so much simpsons in this apartment thanks to disney plus uh <laughs> i believe i've watched seasons one through eleven three times since disney plus came out because wow. uh, it's hard to just keep going after that but uh, i have now i'm in like season we're 15. gonna keep going we're never stopping it, it gets a little tough there's a in season 12 we noticed there's a serious uptick where it gets very funny again and what we've been playing this game now where uh we get some D dice and we pick a season between we roll for it to get between 25 and 30 because mm. we have no idea what happens in there except for a few select episodes. Same. And then we see how many episodes are in the season we roll and then we roll the episode and we've done that. That's how we put things on in our living room now. And it's generally a horrible mistake, but sometimes we find <laughs> a little special gem in there that we enjoy. That's there's usually at least one good joke in, in the Simpsons. There... I watched mm. season 13 one yesterday and I really enjoyed yeah. it. Uh, Take well. me back to 2001. <laughs> uh, so then we get the regular start of the episode where Bart and Lisa and Maggie are all ready for church. Bart gets padded down and uh, he has dice in, and a comic book in his pocket. And it's still like, like the weird green radioactive man from the uh, Bart the Genius episode. Yeah, they just pulled the prop out of the list, I guess, there. the uh, And yeah, this all feels very short, especially like in a couple shots, Bart's face is more of the shorts proportions like he's he doesn't look like tv show uh version of him and uh meanwhile homer is not paying attention he's uh he's watching a football game and uh i i like his commentary here we've got an upset in the making no we don't try being objective for once in your <laughs> let's go Homer. <laughs> but you don't understand marge i have 50 bucks riding on this game don't oh, forget big double interaction promise Sunday. me sure this isn't gambling marge Eastern. it's Spend a lead pike cinch here's the kickoff he takes it at the five and oh my he fumbles don't know the end zone another touchdown why should I feel like a traffic cop every Sunday morning? I'm just trying to get a little goodness into the family. Where is it? The game! Where is it? Ah! Alright, Kogan's got one of those open in the end 
zone. Catch it, catch it. It's complete. Touchdown! All right! <laughs> oh, Doctor, we got a barn burner here. This could be the most remarkable comeback since Lazarus rose from the dead. Lazarus? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so Kogan and Wolodarski are name-checked in that game. Yeah, that, uh, mm-hmm. man, the sound mixing is weird. I, I, it's just so distracting every word that isn't Marge and Homer there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, also Kogan and Wolodarski get name-checked. They, the same with Jay, Wally Kogan, the uh, the character from the Super Bowl episode right. in season 10. And something about those two uh, writers' names gets connected to football. And please check out our Jay Kogan interview on the Patreon. Yeah. It's I, very good. I Every time, they, this is the first sports gambling joke in the show. Yeah. I I love on the commentary they did for the Super Bowl, their first Super Bowl episode, the way Reese just shits all over it. He's like, you guys with your sports gambling, I didn't care. You did, It was a perfect bell curve. Your, all your strategies were meaningless. And he's, I love that he's like the one dork around yeah. all these dorks who like football. It was a writer's room full of degenerate gamblers at this time. And yes. I think it's because like there were just no other distractions. Like That could make your writing you know, day more interesting. You didn't have an iPhone. You didn't have a laptop. You had snacks and writing <laughs> jokes for The Simpsons, and yeah. that's it. So add gambling to that. It makes it more fun. <laughs> they were probably all talking about beating the spread while eating free Butterfinger BBs all mm. day long. <laughs> Mrs. Plopwell, you've done it again. Uh, Homer I, also says that he has 50 bucks riding on the game, uh, which I, I guess he means I have the chance to win 50 bucks. But I think generally when people say that, they mean like, this is how much I bet. Yeah, but he wins fifty dollars later. So either it's not a ter- it's not a very terrible uh, bet that he wins, or he, I think he just says something stupid there. Because I feel like when you say like I have this much money, it's like how much you can lose. That's what you're riding. Yeah. But, or he bet fifty dollars and then won a hundred dollars, maybe. It sounds like he fifty. He broke he even or something. Yeah, I guess so. I, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's a weird like D plot in this episode that Homer does win. And then he yeah. shops for bowling balls later. Yeah, it's uh, kind of forgotten. I I also, as a kid, until I learned how to drive, I didn't get that Homer must be uh, hitting his brights while oh, yeah. pressing the uh, horn at the same <laughs> time, which that's, you know, Homer doesn't, isn't usually that dexterous. It's kind of impressive. <laughs> and I have to say, Marge is uh, the character you're supposed to sympathize with in this first act, but she is not likable at all. It's awful. very much the, don't do that! Right. Don't do that! <laughs> Squirrel <laughs> you're from right. Itchy and Scratchy and Marge. It's just yeah. like, man, she is not fun. I mean, when she... Her performance is so not there yet, too. The, she, she just talks like this homer don't do that yeah. like later like a season later she'd be have much more energy and actually sound like marge well i mean for the writers who they're still dealing with the only marge content they'd seen to this point was now no burping in my house yes. i say are mm-hmm. you making faces like that's all that's all her character was in the short yeah i mean yeah. next we have life on the fast lane and i think that really helps define marge finally yeah yeah they really fi- they figure her out there but uh also that Homer's Laza who that I I forgot that season one's runner is just Homer not knowing the names of famous things anybody like he's yeah. like who's Tiny Tim I guess I guess like it trusts the audience to know that Lazarus is a biblical thing Lazarus yes, yeah. but uh, that's putting a lot of trust in a 1990 audience that's ready to roll into Married <laughs> with Children next but but it does make it extra funny that they pull up to the church so he's a regular churchgoer but doesn't know who La- 
Lazarus is. Let's, uh, though, it's also obvious ADR, or they've just fucked up because there is no lip sync on Homer at all yeah. as he says it. So they, they get out of the car. This is where Marge yells at Homer for his irreverent attitude, which that especially, <laughs> I was like, what a nag you are, Marge. Man, oh, man. It's... That is just, I get that like Bart shouldn't have a personal stereo. But, Rock and roll. But but to say, yeah, but to then tell Homer that like, it's your irreverent attitude. That's so harsh. Like, and at least it's funnier. This, this string of stuff reminds me of the Bart's girlfriend one. Marge has funny things she's uh, conservative about. She's like, like the troll. Yeah, this bizarre hair. Awful, awful hair. Like, that's at least funny yeah. in an extreme, but this is just her being a total just nag. Yeah. yeah. And uh, she's not very perceptive to realize her husband is wearing these giant earbuds with uh, <laughs> dangling cords next to her. Everybody's headphone blind in this world. I love how, to really let you know when this was made, that personal stereo is gigantic. I <laughs> laughed at the phrase personal stereo. <laughs> uh, she should say transistor radio to sound even older. You're like, walking now man. We pod. Uh, I love Bart's little dance as he's, he's walking around to his rock and roll music. Homer did try. I do like that Homer tries to sneakily just sit in the car and listen to the the game the entire time. And he goes, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe when when she asks him. <laughs> I also another great bit on the commentary is they are like giving Richmore notes live and like his head's a little more like eight shaped there. Homer's a little off, and then he's like. Yeah, I'll get on it, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mike Reese is roasting. He's like, he's like uh, Rich, I don't know if you can fix this, but Homer looks terrible yeah. here. <laughs> uh, that's the pain. That's the pain of being a uh, an animator around the writers. I think, or you just you learn to laugh, I guess. Uh, but yes, the as Marge and Homer go to the adult section. Lisa and Bart go to the uh, Sunday school for the kids. And uh, this is one of the best bits in the episode, I think. It, this, it, this feels very graining to me. This is like a Life in Hell comic where it's just like kids ask questions about blank. And <laughs> I've seen some of these. Like Some of them are about God. Will my dog Pepper be there? I'm sorry, but the answer is no. Why not? Because heaven is for people. What about my cat, Snowball? I'm sorry, but the answer is no. Will there be cavemen in heaven? Certainly not. <laughs> um, ma'am? What if you're a really good person, but you're in a really, really bad fight, and your leg gets gangrene, and it has to be amputated? Will it be waiting for you in heaven? For the last time, Bart, yes. <laughs> so that is uh, Mrs. Uh, uh, sorry, Miss Albright. Yes, yeah. Uh, who would lose her glasses and show up maybe like a dozen more times? Usually, it's Maggie Roswell is her. That's right? true. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, that's that's what I saw on the wiki. I had forgotten her. Her glasses are really distracting because they're not lined up. Flanders style glasses like they're usually askew in some way in her two two scenes in this episode like the I I really love how Tress plays her though that she's just a you know a believer a true believer in Christianity but she also is just like yes uh, no okay no I please please cavemen should be in heaven though I don't know what her problem is <laughs> well they weren't uh, they are before Jesus Christ and uh, you can't get into heaven with so through without his will hell is full of cavemen I guess <laughs> I mean like uh, uh, Sucks correct to be me, you. <laughs> correct me mm -hmm. here, theologians, but I think in in the view she's espousing about how it's also just the mean thing of like, no, they're godless animals. They can't be in heaven. That's the rules. I'm sorry. It, it seems to be the belief of like, if you 
do not, if you are not saved by Jesus Christ, then you don't go to heaven. So any person before the birth of Christ couldn't be saved because he didn't exist. Mm. So then you're not in heaven. Like, you got to grandfather those people in, I think. <laughs> that only feels fair to me. Like, But I, I like that Albright just sticks to her gun. She's like, of course not. No, they're <laughs> not there. Like, it'd be so much easier for her to please the kids by saying, like, yes, your kitty cat is in heaven. Isn't heaven great? Like, but she's she's not lying to him. I, I kind of like that. This is like one of <laughs> maybe three or four episodes where Matt Groening has a writing credits. Yes. So, yeah, the writers are uh, Gene and Reese and Groening and Simon. So that's very odd. That many writers on the script. Yeah. Well, it's also like against normal, even then, showrunner protocol of like, you just expect the showrunners who, for season one, you would say are graining Brooks and Simon. They, of course, they rewrite everything, but you don't put your name on the script because you want to. It's it's just seen as like, well, the new writers, the younger writers should have their own credit so they can make their way. If you put your name on it, too, it kind of takes away from their ability or their reputation so it's pretty whenever i see things where the showrunner put their name on the script i'm like did you just want an award or something like teleplay it, by yeah yeah i mean gina reese are very guilty of that which they totally cop to when they did it on round springfield they're like yeah we we gave ourselves the story by credit because we thought we'd win an emmy that's just it so there are only four episodes he's credited with writing uh and most of them are with somebody else so this one uh some enchanted evening with sam simon that terrible episode yeah. uh colonel homer Yes, that's, that's his soul. It's yeah. soul one, isn't it? Yeah, I thought so. And then 22 short films. I don't know which segment he did, but he's on, he's a credited writer on that. I forgot he had a, a yeah. segment on that. We got to ask Bill and Josh which one he did. I forget. But uh, he, wow, that's a shocker. The uh, That is only soul writing one was that. I think I think that Colonel Homer one was him showing off of like, you say I don't write here. <laughs> I wrote a whole script. I'm not just uh, I'm not just the cartoon dork. It's a good one, but I wonder how much it was rewritten. I mean, every episode's heavily yeah. rewritten then. It's season three i'm sure it was rewritten a lot but most things were so uh and then we get another first appearance reverend lovejoy giving his big old speech and uh pretty much how sheer has always played him i do like his voice choice it's true i think he would like be a little more droning and deep later yeah, less effeminate yeah like yeah i do feel like there's a certain level of gag of like this effeminate voice from a man of god yeah, mm, interesting yeah and he's not uh totally like an obscene hypocrite there is a funny, like a funny sign gag where the entire sermon is about gambling, and then when he's you know saying goodbye to the parishioners, he's standing by a sign. It's like Bingo Night, Monte oh. Carlo Night, <laughs> Las Vegas Retreat. That's I like that. the one joke about you know how churches be very you know hypocritical. Do you which... think that Christianity is hypocrisy? <laughs> really? What do they have to gain, Henry? <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Yeah. So. Uh, well, I also love... I noticed a Reverend Lovejoy thing recently that like his design interesting and it it always stuck out to me and i couldn't really figure out why and then on, on a fairly a late simpsons episode that's probably from 25 years ago i uh I, I just saw him standing next to some celebrity really pointing out how season one he looks and continues to look and he's he's got garfield eyes i don't know yeah. if you guys have ever noticed that he's got tall yeah thin eyes as opposed to the perfectly round eyes most characters have it's like him and lenny and like one or two other characters have those but they really stick out well lovejoy didn't get as 
as um, changed up as say like Otto or Lenny did over the uh, the years. Like he stayed more mm-hmm. like he looks. He and he has kind of the light bulb nose that a lot of guys yeah. don't have on there. I, I personally yeah. I love seeing season one characters next to someone created thirty years later. That's much more flattering to that celebrity. <laughs> like I'm sure when yeah. Billie Eilish shows up and she will, <laughs> she will look exactly like Bill, Billie Eilish with yellow skin. There yeah. won't be like a weird. The ripped Alec take. Baldwin is always the one I think of. The Ooh. like totally jacked, awesome looking <laughs> Alec Baldwin. Yeah, or or even if it's not a guest star. Uh, a newly designed character because they're being made in the HD era. They have so many more accessories and lines to them yeah. because they are they, those lines will be visible on a TV. While meanwhile, you have you know the very simple colors of Barney or Homer. Yeah, it even it even stands out in that way. But uh, another one of those season one jokes I didn't get was a joke was gambling the eighth deadly sin which because of the seven deadly sins greed is one of them which uh, would definitely cover gambling so it's it's a joke about bad writing uh but the lovejoy gives a big speech which really just lets harry shearer have some fun as a sports commentator one of his uh favorite roles to do i think today is sunday the lord's day and yet at this very moment millions of americans are not in the lord's house They're in their own house, worshiping a false idol, professional football. Oh, Lord. It's a beautiful Sunday. Perfect football weather for this incredible game. And by the way, this game is being brought to you by the good people at Duff Beer. You can't get enough of that wonderful Duff. Now, they're lining up for this crucial kick. One final tick of the clock remains. If they win, it will cap an amazing comeback. But it's a 49-yard field goal into the wind. Make it, make it, make it, make it. It's good! It's good! It's good! <laughs> it's good to see you all in church. Please be seated, Homer. Yeah, sit down, Homer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Marge. But she's right to be embarrassed here. I, I'm on her. She's not being a stick in the mud. Homer just humiliated her. Did Did Marge realize he's listening to a personal stereo system I unit? I think so. I, oh, also, when she pulls the earbuds out of uh, Bart's ears, it's such a cartoony pop. Yeah. Yeah. They Again, we talk about the sound design not fully figured out at this point. But uh, And Richmore on the commentary has a funny note that he's like, we did not tell them to lip sync uh, Lovejoy to the announcer. In fact, he's not supposed to. But uh, and he, he does for about did. like half the time of yeah. this. Yeah, it goes in and out. I I wonder if in just the they did all the other changes in the edits. I wonder if they desynced it a little bit. You're probably right. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, there's a shot of the parishioners, which I remember from our live show, Bob. You pointing out. Oh yeah, <laughs> the rare Mr. Krabappel. It's crazy. In a very off model shot of them all praying. Yes. Well, like well drawn, but not in the right style. Jasper and the Winchells are wrinkly as hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, the the only shot of Mr. Krabappel probably ever in the show. And uh, now I know enough about football to know that is a very difficult thing to do, a 49-yard uh, mm. field goal. I, I wasn't even thinking of that. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, Homer should be excited that such a good kick was done. But uh, I like that he's praying at the same time everybody else is praying. But it's one of those things where season one... They have a clever joke, but it plays too long. Mm. Like it's, it just sets it up too long. Uh, then uh, I have one more clip here from the kids ending their Sunday school lesson, which I really love too. The ventriloquist goes to heaven, but the dummy doesn't. Oh, 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 <laughs> me. Bart, what about a robot with a human brain? <laughs> I don't know. All these questions. 
Is a little blind faith too much to ask? Yeah! Don't forget next week. Remember to read. <laughs> nice uh, twist your mouth on robot. That's so great. Yeah, uh, I uh, they bring were... them back. <laughs> you can see their hate of them on the commentary. They're like, "Hey, a twister! We told him not to do that." And uh, then Rich Moore, I think even he comments like that rascally Wes Archer just puts him in there. Every one <laughs> is a gift that we yeah, see yeah. in the series. I love every that. twister mouth is a gift. I love Tress's uh, delivery of like, he's a little blind faith, too much to ask. Like, that's good <laughs> acting. Like, she's she's a great voice actress. Though no, no, my theory now is that the kids knowingly waste time with all these heaven questions so the teacher won't teach an actual lesson. They don't have to hear boring scripture readings or whatever. That's that's my theory now. As they leave, Lovejoy kind of guilts Homer in a passive-aggressive way. And I think I didn't see that bingo joke, Bob, because oh. there's this like angry man painting a, a, across from him. Are that, they like setting up like a relationship that did not exist? Like this is his boss, or this is like the bishop. He's not Catholic, but he's, like this is the man yeah. above him in the hierarchy of the church. Maybe I. It's just so distracting. It's like, very distracting. Like, like most photographs or paintings of regular characters, it's just incredibly distracting in the background. But it, it was all their their background choices back then. But uh, yeah, I do like it's some classic love joy passive aggressiveness like oh i think i really touched you today didn't i homer he's like what oh yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. they then drive away we get to see a very wacky front-facing marge in the in the car ride and uh also she says like oh we're gonna fight more later homer like that and it's weird like uh this sets up a story like this will be about marge and her frustration with the family like that all goes away just go like, they just this. forget about it yeah she basically has no more lines after this except at the uh breakfast table radio thing in the third act like uh you think she'd have more concern about the mob trying to murder her kid later too but she's completely absent from it i i do like that homer hopefully wants to think lovejoy say gambling is good for some reason uh, when speaking of graining style things, the conversation between Bart and Homer about do apes go to heaven, that feels very Mac Graining as oh, well. Oh, yeah. I could I could see that could be his writing contribution on this episode. <laughs> uh, it's a funny... Those adorable little they monkeys. <laughs> they smoke cigars and roller skates for our amusement. Yeah. I, uh, and I think if they're tor- if apes are tortured to get on roller skates and smoke cigars, they deserve heaven. They That's earned true. it. That's like a, a preview of Mr. Teeny. You're right. Yep. Yeah. Homer, Homer loves Mr. Teeny and the teenies of the world. That's it's it's a very short style exchange for sure. And uh, yes, then we get an, a another transfer from the shorts, but first for the series, the Space Mutants. Very very short lived. Uh, they this would end. This runner would end in season three, and actually it would not come back again until Beyond Blunderdome, the episode we'll be doing after season one ends. So that's the uh, season eleven premiere. Which that just feels like one animator drew a joke in the background they're like i remember space mutants and i remember from going through the episodes from the beginning they're presented out of order Mm -hmm. the space mutants movies but this one is space mutants for the trilogy continues which that's a great joke i think it's a friday the 13th joke because Uh, yeah it was supposed to be like the final chapter the fourth the fourth movie yes yeah and then the fifth one's a new beginning yeah I, i i think you're right there i mean even though it's called Space Mutants, the 
the teens getting killed kissing that's a slasher movie not a space monster movie you know i think uh, our generation of simpsons fans will never forget the space Mutants because they were the stars of a video a game. rotten ass game yeah. that was the first <laughs> simpsons game we could play and yep christ it's uh it's only looks better by comparison to the rest of the 8-bit uh, simpsons games it's, it's actually the best of those it's like dark souls compared to uh <laughs> bart i'm uh, sorry bartman meets radioactive man yes yeah, yeah. or bart in the beanstalk Oof. yeah at the very least in in bart versus space beans they paid for the danny elfman song at least in the nes version that was the one released first but when you poor poor british people had to play it on the master system mm. no danny elfman song no. they paid for a sound like slightly better graphics sure slightly still a rotten yeah. game look but yes yeah uh and yeah the the space beans first appeared in the 37th short scary movie mm. that's the one uh, where bart goes to a scary movie with maggie and lisa and he gets more scared than they do at the space mutants i i did miss the runner of the space mutant numbers that i i didn't double check this on like frankie act but the wiki said that in the 1980 flashback uh before bart's birth there is a sign for the first space Mutants. that's true movie. yeah so that was a joke you know it's like this is where it began yeah yeah but uh, i also like when marge turns down the movie she says killing innocent people eating human flesh you just get a lot of bad ideas <laughs> that is funny <laughs> lisa bart what did you two learn in Sunday school today? The answers to deep theological questions. Yeah, among other things, apes can't get into heaven. What? Those cute little monkeys? That's terrible. Yeah. Who told you that? Our teacher. I can understand how they wouldn't let in those wild jungle apes. But what about those really smart ones who live among us, who roller skate and smoke cigars? Oh, cool, man. Space Mutants 4. Drop me off! Drop me off! No way, Jose! Marge, they're only space mutants. <laughs> I know what those movies are like. Killing innocent people, eating human flesh. You just get a lot of bad ideas. <laughs> hey, Dad. Can I have five bucks? I hope you're not planning to see a certain movie starring certain space mutants that a certain mother didn't want you to see. <laughs> <laughs> Perish the thought. Here you go, son. Share the wealth. That's what I always say. I kind of just realized, I've seen this episode a billion times, but, like, the entire thing is about Homer being a bad influence on Bart. So, yeah, you're right. Like, he, even up to the end, like, he tells basically tells Bart to do what he does eventually. Yeah. So, it's like, and in the beginning, it's like, it's your reverent attitude that is making Bart bad. <laughs> you're right. It's, it, but it, it's just it's, not done very well. It's a very consistent theme, not pointed out enough, perhaps. Yeah. But, yeah, that, I mean, this is him completely going against his wife's parenting decisions, just like... And eh, no, just go. Here's five bucks. Boys will be boys. Five bucks to see a movie. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, five bucks goes even farther in one scene. I'm really going to point out when oh. we get to that. <laughs> oh, but, Christ. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the five bucks to see a movie. Also, that seemingly that movie's R-rated. So how's Bart even planning to get mm. into that without thievery? Like, uh, uh, but it also seems very unhomer like how he's lying on the couch in full church clothes. I, I feel like he would have changed out of it. I think uh, he's just too lazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm even looking at bowling ball prices right now, and 50 bucks is not going to get you one with a liquid center. 
Yeah, no way. I uh, also Homer. Homer sounds very Walter Matthaui in that uh, certain movie. A certain yeah. Uh, yeah. I love his share of the wealth. That's what I always say. That's a fun saying. I like that. And uh, then Bart gets fully naked in the hallway, which is a weird choice. It just feels odd oh, to me. You know what? I'm just realizing this. Uh, so Homer says share the wealth, right? Yes. Bart yeah. says that later. Yeah. Bart, well, it Bart just, is it, very influential. It's in not episode. like I, I'm only realizing this now. <laughs> this is the point of this entire episode. <laughs> 30 years later. Uh, I think the the Bart, they just liked the fun of showing Bart's butt on TV because you couldn't normally do that yeah. on television. But it, as a child and even now, it still bugs me. Like, so did Bart fully take off his underwear <laughs> with his church clothes or was he not wearing underwear with his oh, church clothes? An unfurnished basement. <laughs> oh, that's true. He does yeah. prefer that. That's It's been set up. I, I don't I like it's fun animation, but like the scene of Bart being like totally radical and saying Calabunga yeah. just presented sincerely like no Bart's <laughs> radical. I I almost feel like he they were told by the people who were already making Bart toys like we need something for commercials put in a skateboarding scene like this this is just an earnest skateboarding scene as real as it would have been presented in any Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode and it also features a thing the writers and we even forget Bart does say yeah. this in season one. Whoa! Boom! Calabunga! Yeah! There it is. He said it. He, he was watching the turtles earlier, I guess. <laughs> I can't believe they let him say Calabunga. Calabunga. The writers all think it is the lamest thing in the world to have Bart say Calabunga. They, <laughs> they, on other commentaries, they're insistent of like, no, that was invented for t-shirts. We never had Bart say Calabunga. We are better than that. And here's the proof. No, you were not. You had him say Calabunga. You, you had him be the mascot of the, of the extreme 90s we all remember. <laughs> I, uh, I just saw the Daily Simpsons, I think it was. They shared like a 1989 Bart Halloween costume. Which, I saw that. Which was, you know, the classic mask and then a t-shirt that features the character on it, not an actual Bart costume. Is that because like the show presumably would have been airing in Halloween 1989? Well, uh, I guess, yeah, that must have been their plan. They're hmm. like, well, this will premiere in September, so it'll be out in October. Like the the merchandise, it's, it's something to really consider when you look at the Simpsons timeline that I didn't think of when we first did season one, which is the merchandise wheels, especially in 1989, they had to be turning before even January 90. Like, Oh, they were spinning in like spring of 89. (laughs) So, so they fully knew they were going to merchandise. Bart mania did not, it was what they wanted to happen and it probably was more successful than they thought, but they were ready for it. Bart mania was part of it. It was not a, you know, secondary thing to it uh, of it all. Oh God. And the Halloween costume has the date it was printed on the costume and says August 16th, 1989. <laughs> yeah. The what a weird thing. Is that because it was a prototype and just like, well, here's our, here's what it looks like. Here's this Maybe. version of it. I, I thought, Maybe. I thought the person, the person who found it, they, they suggested it might be the date it was worn, or mm. uh, but and uh, by some scrapbooking mom who had kept it in that kind of shape, or dad. Maybe, but it's in the like Matt Groening font right below mm. his name. It is, That's, yeah, yeah. Huh. 
And I and there's more and more questions about this Halloween costume now. <laughs> like knowing how things are manufactured now, because uh, my partner Nina Matsumoto does stuff for Fan Gamer. It's like like China needs to know seven months in advance about what their factory will be making and sending to you. So like they weren't reacting to Bob's popularity. Otherwise, it would, the stuff would start hitting by like mid season two. Yeah, they they would have already known the popularity was coming from the shorts, and that's how they they. In, identified it i think that's something like that's a a thing to remember about pitching doing a simpsons show is that they knew the the toys were coming for christmas 89 Mm -hmm. even uh but yes as as bart is uh skateboarding around he runs into his three future bullies who will be tormenting him for the rest of his life jimbo dolphin kearney jimbo named after jim brooks Dolphin Kearney named after Portland streets or Kearney streets. It's weird. Like I found out about Jim Jones, the cult leader and mass murderer uh, <laughs> long after this. So whenever I see him or read about him or hear a podcast about him, I, I imagine him as Jimbo. Yeah. Jimbo Jones. It's very distracting. <laughs> yeah. And who would have thought these characters would have such longevity? Like they're there. I watched a recent season 31 episode and they're in it more than ever because they do a ton of jokes about Jimbo and his girlfriend, Chalmers, daughter. Oh, like, that's right. And, and of course, uh, found out, uh, Kearney has a son. Or, yes. Yeah. He's in his, uh, he remembers the bicentennial, which would put him at about 60 now, <laughs> <Yeah>. I'd say. <laughs> But who would have thought they'd stick around this long? But let's let's hear the first meeting of the bad kids. Nice dismount, man. (laughs) Didn't hurt. Oh, yeah? Well, do it again. Nah. Might land on my face and end up looking like you. (laughs) You little punk. Hey, man, leave the kid alone. I like him. You do? Yeah. You're witty. So what's your name, man? I'm Bart Simpson. This here's Kearney, and I'm Jimbo. You don't need an introduction. You're the worst kid in school. Thanks. <laughs> Coast is clear. You guys are sneaking in? Yeah, only saps pay to see movies. Hey, Bart, come on. But sneaking into a movie is practically stealing, man. Practically? It is stealing. Well, okay. I just wanted to make sure we weren't deluding ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it was uh, pretty novel uh, at the time to have like teenagers talk like teenagers on TV. Yeah. But in the future, they would do like a funny take on a dumb teenager, like you know, way to breathe, no breath, <laughs> or you kissed a girl that's so gay. Yes. Like they're just sincerely like kind of dumb teenagers. Like wh- whatever. Pfft. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is a fun way to play them. I. But yeah, if you want to do sharper writing, you don't settle for how a dumb teenager just like. A barks words. Did you realize though that uh, so Jimbo and Jimbo and Kearney are named. Dolph is not named until Camp Krusty. Wow. When it's, it's like a, your oh. counselors, Jimbo, Dolph, and Kearney. That's right. Yeah. yeah, they don't say it out loud till then. And uh, yeah. Dolph is named after a classmate of uh, Matt Groening's, but he was uh, not a bully. Okay. Yeah. All right. I thought I, Kearney's the only one who's a Portland Street then. I, yes. I misspoke there. And Lovejoy. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. On Flanders. Yeah. I, I, am in, I just met among the bullies. He's oh, the yeah. One. yeah. I'm in Portland a lot, and I never get tired of seeing those streets. <laughs> Though we, I mean, mm. in San Francisco, we have Kearney Streets as well. That's so, true. Uh, yeah. Uh, he, I, I like how he takes the compliment of being the worst kid in school. And uh, it also, the it is stealing. Okay, I just want to make sure we weren't deluding ourselves. That also feels very graining to me, mm-hmm. too, kind of statement. Now, when I worked at AMC Theaters, I 
had to i was assigned to guard exits from this very type of thing they put you in danger I, that's so I know. great <laughs> i really i wish i never had to do it and also it's like who gives a shit let a kid let a yeah if a kid wants to sneak in and see a movie and have a little fun who cares like but uh i i had to be one of those guards and i also got like religious witness to twice while oh. i was there because i was just trapped i'm like leave me alone <laughs> but uh i i i feel bad that i was a narc just like the jerk in this episode who is preventing kids from seeing films full of nudity which now who cares they'll see that on the internet anyway. yeah instantly <laughs> the sound that takes us out of it more of just the like overly dramatic uh music writing of the season too uh and then when they come back like uh bart does a fart sound and the audience behind him is really distracting because they don't look at all like Simpsons characters. Yeah, this is uh, a pretty long scene with not a lot of jokes. It's like, mm -hmm. I guess the joke is like, oh, this is a pretty accurate parody of a slasher movie. Yeah, and that's it. Like, yeah. it's, I think that's why Space Mutants didn't come back too much. Even after the last time, they're like, what if they're Australian? And that was the best one. That's yeah. the best one. <laughs> but even that, it's like, where do you go after that? You know? <laughs> And, uh, the, I mean, the best gag with the Space Mutants is when the Space Mutants in the movie grab the couple and then the Usher grabs Bart and Jimbo oh. in the same oh. image style. I guess that is a joke. Yeah, that's a joke. I didn't realize that. Okay, cool. <laughs> it's it's posed and laid out all the same. As they leave and walk away, they uh, I like that Jimbo brags like, I, you know, Bart, I've been kicked out of all four Space Mutant movies. <laughs> so Jimbo mm -hmm. saw the first one nine years ago. Mm, yes, yeah. He's, well, hey... Who knows the age of Corky? We know Kearney's age, but uh, I, you know, I, I don't respect the Corky's Jimbo thing. I, what is that? Uh, that's uh, when he signed his, uh, remember when Bart oh, had his checks? Yeah. And, oh, Jimbo's real name is Corky. Corky. Wow. Th that line felt so ADR to me and it was not respected after that I don't respect it either yeah. as, as continuity. <laughs> but speaking of continuity and making history. Beloved character appearance <laughs> yep. for the first time. Apu Nahasapima Petalon. Everybody's favorite. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it so much. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, just the brief story is that um, on the commentary, in the script, it was said, you know, not ethnic. Mm -hmm. The clerk is not ethnic. Ethnic meaning not white. And they say on the commentary... Hank did this voice. It got a big laugh, so it stayed in the show. We found out later in history, Sam Simon put him up to it because Sam Simon knew it would piss off Macarena, right? <laughs> I believe that is the recanted story is told. Yeah, so on the, yeah, it's, it's Al Jean on the commentary who says yeah. he remembers it as Hank Azaria. Mike Reese on a later commentary will repeat that same story. If you've watched the Harry Condabaloo film, The Problem with Apu, he quotes a Reese interview where he also tells the story that it was hank azaria's idea the first time i had heard a different version of that story was in mike reese's book where he said i mike reese says i always told the story that it was hank azaria who came up with the contra now controversial apu voice but when i talked with hank about it he said no i was told to do it by sam simon yeah it was his direction to do it and sam simon was fascinated with 7-elevens he was way into them in 7-eleven <laughs> culture but also matt Groening was a big stickler for not including certain kinds of jokes that were very popular at the time on the simpsons for good reason yes yeah i matt was right in time i'd say he was but. right so I feel like part of it was like this will really piss off Matt because yeah. of, you know they hated each other <laughs> and I mean telling that story for Reese it's also a it's a blame dead end for people who are are who are looking for someone to blame in the Apu thing where it's like 
well, the the originator of the idea is dead now, so yeah. you can't really be mad at a dead man. Like, or I mean, you can be. I'm mad at lots of dead people, but it it you can't ask him for any more information. And uh, and yeah, I mean, at the time of this recording, Azaria says he's never going to do the voice again. But in the 1990, I guess it did feel like ripped from real life. They're like, oh, an Indian guy runs a convenience store. That is it. That's how it is in my neighborhood or whatever. But it it was at the very least a very simple stereotype yeah that, and apu has no character here they added so much character to him in the future he doesn't even have a joke so much no he does he's just like the you know this is not a lending library kind yeah. of uh you know overly watchful clerk but uh, i want to say that not to go on too long about this but i want to say that his reveal is supposed to be a joke like he turns around but you see him before he turns around he's just facing a different way so i feel like in the animation he was supposed to like reveal the reveal was uh, like look it's an indian guy ha 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 but yeah. he's there the second bart enters the store and he turns <laughs> around and we know he's indian the entire time yeah the animation does kind of blow it there too and in, the, in what i i think you're right that that was the uh the uh the concept uh but why why don't we hear apu's famous first words in the series three jumbo cherry squishies and one double jumbo original flavor sir okay now don't you kids take anything i'm watching you i've got eyes in the back of my head 452 don't worry guys it's on me share the wealth that's what i always say mm-hmm. <laughs> guys guys Hey guys, where'd you get all that great stuff? Five finger discount, man. You ripped it off? Yeah, thanks for covering for us, man. That also establishes Jimbo Dolphin Kearney's main character type, which is shoplifting. Mm, and having five fingers. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I want to say there's a we- really weird animation thing happening that I just noticed, and it's on Disney Plus as well. As soon as Apu says, I've got eyes in the back of my head, watch him. Because for the next like four seconds, they cut out a frame from earlier in the scene and paste it into the scene. Yep. So it's like a very oddly frozen video still of Apu while the rest of the animation moves around him naturally. It's very odd. Yeah, it's uh, clearly something was unsatisfactory with what Apu was doing in that shot. And to avoid a retake, they're just like, can we just get a still frame of him and paste it over it? It's an, it's an unmoving shot. So, and, and you're really, your eyes are drawn to the kids stealing anyway. So I'm not surprised we never noticed this before. First time I ever noticed it. And it's on the DVD and on Disney Plus. So yeah, really weird. Uh, I also, I love the idea of an original flavor squishy. Like, what is that? What is this original flavor? Like they haven't really figured out uh, background signs yet. So like, I'm like, like face against my TV trying to read these (laughs) things. And they're not even that funny. Um, So the beef jerky display is, it says nutritious beef jerky. Have you had a stick today? And the flavors are mild and spicy Cajun style. So (laughs) I guess not very funny. Uh, The sign above the door says your automotive headquarters which um i don't know i don't get that one and there's there's like the candy section and i can't read the top line but the bottom line says um a perfect way to start the day 
Oh, huh. so Weird. don't yeah, know what I, they're doing here. So, but uh, I tried. Yeah, I, I appreciate your your effort on a season where they're figuring out sign gags while animation is more rough. It's uh, it's a real challenge. And yeah, four fifty two for four giant squishies. Yeah, three jumbo and one double jumbo. Are they like eighty <laughs> cents each or something? Uh, I think a dollar each and then tax. Yeah, I think I think that's the situation. Yeah, I mean four fifty two wouldn't buy you one squishy in Universal studios i'll tell you that i had my first squishy or slurpee rather uh, in like 10 years because it came with a uh, Link's awakening cup oh really and i think it was like five dollars <laughs> where were, at a 7-eleven they were selling Link's awakening Camaro yeah cups? for the wow. for the new uh, for the switch game yeah that's nice i didn't know this i in canada <laughs> oh well that changes <laughs> everything we didn't go to a 7-eleven but my husband so wanted the detective pikachu cups he bought them on ebay they were like the, the somebody flipped them the slushy cups like squishy that's a cute name for a, 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 a slushy i feel like it's just interchangeable to people now they just say like squishy or slushy but uh matt you come from a land of wawa oh boy i do <laughs> i just yesterday in a car with a in a, a car with five people in it uh two of us from the jersey philly area we talked about Wawa for about 40 minutes while everyone else just uh, silently waited for us to stop. Uh, <laughs> I had uh, sheets in Ohio. It was They're just popping up as I was leaving, but I did enjoy some sheets before I left. Uh, that actually came up as well. The the In the Philly area, uh, sheets versus Wawa is usually the argument people have. I've never been to a sheets because it's, it's generally in the Philly suburb area where mm. I, I didn't grow up as much. But I would give up uh, everything in my life uh, for the opportunity to open a Wawa franchise in los angeles like somebody <laughs> please do that we need it here we need it. it would make this city so much better you saw how much people went crazy for a chick-fil-a that opened <sighs> in los angeles let us have a wawa now too <laughs> i just i swear to god this oh okay so my roommate in my roommate one room over just heard me talking about wawa and messaged me about it <laughs> but i just saw the word wawa come up on my phone and it I almost went insane just now. I I thought I was like, there's no way the universes are are converging in this way. Uh, Also, we were talking about collectible cups. Another thing I just noticed for the first time is that the squishies come in Space Mutant 4 cups. Oh, no way. I didn't notice that. That's cool. And so a nice tie-in. <laughs> and uh, it, it actually makes sense of like, yeah, the 7-Eleven would have tie-in cups for a big movie like that. Also, first appearance of Play Dude in the show, too, mm. which uh, is, you know, it's a good fictional porn magazine for the world of Simpsons, but it's no gigantic asses. No, that's much better. <laughs> that's the that's number one fake porno name. I miss, you know, now in the days of, I guess the jokes in shows are now about funny names for porno websites but in the 90s and 2000s the jokes were about funny porno uh magazine names like the famous biggins good old biggins (laughs) yes yeah uh or swank well actually no swank's real that's That's armin's copy of swank (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yes uh another missed joke in the show comes in when they approach the Jebediah Springfield statue, which is that no person's last name is Springfield. Springfield are just is the most bland name you would name a town. So the idea that the founder's last name is Springfield is a joke. It happened much later, but I, I think Shelbyville, Manhattan is a much funnier joke. Way better. Yeah, because I, his last name is the more popular town name, and his first name is the name of the town. His name is Shelbyville. That's <laughs> such a that's such a great joke. Uh, I love it's that. a great Bill and Josh <laughs> style joke. 
And uh, the bear also, uh, with its X eyes, I love that his his statue is just standing on top of a bear. I he, forgot that. Yeah, it's just a man with a dead bear. That's that's all he's remembered for. The, like there are good jokes in this episode, but I will say they try really hard to make bear with bear hands funny. Yeah, it does not work, and it happens like five times. I'm like, guys, <laughs> come on, stop. Calm it down. Yeah. The uh, and I double check the photos of it at Springfield in the Universal Parks. It is also the dead bear. But not the season one looking bear with X's for eyes. It is a more normal looking bear, certainly from the current redesign of what the the statue looks like. So sadly, he's not standing on a uh, a season one cartoony bear with X's for eyes. And uh, you know, I, I talk bad about the sound design, but I really like the the hollow sound of the rocks hitting the bronze statue as they throw rocks at Jebediah. Yeah, and this is also the debut of uh, Mr. Dandy, <laughs> who I've been talking about a lot in this uh, season one revisit. It's so funny that Dandy is in the premieres in the same episode as Apu, but he doesn't have any of the staying power. It's like for one episode, Apu and Dandy are equals. And in fact, Dandy <laughs> is far more important than Apu. It's true. Yeah. He's uh, a force of authority in the town. I, I mean, what he really is, is just a character in a jimmy stewart movie who's just like hey hey you kids like that uh you little ruffians yeah here i got the clip <laughs> go on bart but that guy founded springfield he built our first hospital out of logs and mud if it weren't for him all the settlers would have died in the great blizzard of 48 so so Watch me hit him right between the eyes. Hey, what are you doing now? Show a little respect, you insolent little thugs. We're really scared. Hey, hey, you, hey, hey, you. Hey, hey. That's what makes you. me laugh the most is they just play his hey you like three times in a row. Oh, uh, yeah. But yeah, Mr. Dandy, like weirdly enough, we have another oddball, uh, Howard, coming up at the end of the season from Howard's Flowers. Like his descendant would be in a future episode, like recently. Oh, really? They never brought back Dandy. He appears, he appears a few more times in the background in like season mm. two and three, but then he's just out. You would think a show like this would have a lot of reasons to go to a candy shop just for the kids. But yeah, nothing, nothing else of this guy. Uh, I also forgot until hearing it now it's like the dog's barking as he's getting yelled at it's it's very weird it's an odd choice yeah and i i don't know like i feel like a future episode would be like you know honestly who gives a shit about jebediah springfield it's it's not a big mm-hmm. deal like actually when uh, jessica lovejoy and bart are together that one of their bonding experiences is throwing toilet paper over the statue and it's yeah. like treated like a sweet moment here it's like when the bart when bart's rock hits the statue the sting of music is like oh my god what has bart done <laughs> Uh, this great yeah. man this i mean this is more of the insane reverence for him that we'd see in lisa the iconoclast you know like this, this but it's like the show itself is treating it like it's a tragedy yeah. like the characters also do but the show the way it's scored and the way the scene is set up and everything it's like this is a terrible thing bart is doing oh no <laughs> I was thinking about this recently while watching uh, Duncanville, the mm. the new Fox animated sitcom, and for some reason, animated 
sitcom writers like i don't know if they feel this way but they love for their characters to love their hometown and really believe in their hometown and and the history of it and it's a thing that i've not only never experienced in real life (laughs) but like have only seen in adult animated sitcoms like it's just such a weird go-to for everything to like well we need something for these characters to care about and rally behind and it's always like the man that founded this town had these tenants and we believe in them and some teenager is like well i don't agree with that and then they learn that uh, everybody loving the history of their town is actually correct, and they become one of those fans of it. I, I don't understand why it's such a trope Fam- for this very specific genre. Family Guy had an episode very similar to that in its first season mm. of like the, that's right, yeah. The town. Mm. Well, that was when they lost cable, but like the town comes together. It's uh, I mean, as a branding thing, maybe it just like establishes your your fictional town in your show pretty early, and so it's useful in that way. But. Yeah, yeah, King of the Hill too. Arlen, like just all these shows pull on that thread. Yeah, you know, Matt Jay, thanks for bringing that up, especially the uh, the Duncanville one because. I had forgotten when in that first episode, there's a thing of like old Oki, the tree that is fully mm. just being treated the way Jebediah Springfield is treated in this mm. episode. Like it is, it's kind of a, it's a very similar plot device in that episode. I think because of Springfield, when you start a new animated show, you're like, okay, what's the town? Like, what's yeah. the story of the town? We got to do the town. And that's just the mm. natural element of every adult animated TV show now. Yeah. If your town's just a town or it's, uh, you know, you're in New York city, it, it it just feels different, you know, or yeah. Bojack gets around that by being like, yeah, this is Los Angeles and Los Angeles and we're going to have hyper specific references to every street in the show. Yeah, yeah. When the Simpsons was doing this, it was novel because like on a sitcom, you're like, OK, here's the house set. Maybe there's a bar and maybe there's a workplace, but that's it. Yeah. The Simpsons was like, well, here are the locations they can go to because we have people draw them. So no, it no was one, very novel. No one in Cheers has a distracting Boston accent. You no, know? <laughs> it's true. Uh, but uh, yeah, the the kids then run off they then look at clouds together in kind of a parody of the uh, peanut shorts where they'd look at clouds except they're oh. hyper specific clouds of violent things yeah uh and that also felt very graining too uh it's very long scene uh, yep it kind of uh that's why i don't have the clip here because <laughs> we'll just be listening for like a minute 10 uh but i i like that eventually they come to see that that's where the idea comes from Jimbo tells him, yeah, I think it would be a good idea if they cut his ugly old head off like that. That's uh, Bart being, again, a very impressionable young lad. And when Bart resisted at first, they then all call him gay, which is eventually what happens if you hang out with a bunch of boys long enough. Like, yeah, it's very, again, a very like accurate portrayal of yeah. like teenage boys of this era. Though in 1990, they would have said more slurs yeah, in yeah. real life. Yeah, but fortunately, they didn't in this show. Uh, that's, that's why it was so shocking in that later Simpsons one where they just tell tell nelson like that's so gay it's like yeah that's what an actual teen would say or a worse thing yeah uh but yes after bart is laughed away for caring about the kid for caring about jebediah we go back home homer is thinking about how to spend the is 50 bucks wow look at these bowling balls maggie can you think of a better way for daddy to spend his hard one fifty bucks Now I've seen everything. Black, marbleized with a liquid center. The stealth bowler. The pins don't know what hit him. Dad, can I talk to you about something? Sure, boy. What's on your mind? Well, I was wondering, how important is it to be popular? I'm glad you asked, son. Being popular is the most important thing in the world. 
So, like, sometimes you could do stuff that you think is pretty bad so other kids will like you better? You're not talking about killing anyone, are you? No. Are you? No. Then run along, you little scamp. A boy without mischief is like a bowling ball without a liquid center. Hope he says bowling ball really weird, like bowling ball without a... <laughs> more of, uh, we covered this in our live show, but like more of the season one bowling fascination. Yeah, yeah. Homer, again, Homer's love of bowling, it's its too much activity for him. It, it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he'd just be a Moe's. I stand by the headcanon I made up that after losing his job at Barney's Bowlerama, he could never bring himself to go oh, back there. You're probably right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Homer, I again, this was the first viewing where I realized like Homer has $50 to buy a bowling ball because he won that bet. And but, uh, uh, the <laughs> Bowl Earth catalog is a reference to the Whole Earth catalog, oh. which was a counterculture catalog slash magazine that was published in the hippie days. Ah. Uh, someone I was dating, their parents had a few and I was looking at them. It's just like, here's how to grow your weed, man. And Ooh. like things <laughs> you could buy from there, like fun counterculture things. But uh, yeah, parody of that. Matt Graney probably knew about that. Wow, I didn't know that. I, uh, well, man, it sounded like you did a little research on the price of bowling balls that are not 50 bucks. I was just looking on just a general Amazon search just because I have uh, zero idea what a bowling ball costs because I've never had to purchase one myself. But 50 bucks seems on the very low end mm. without any special features about it, like uh, a, a liquid center. I'm not seeing any liquid centers either. I'm not sure how common that is, <laughs> but generally around 100 to 140 Seems to be what I'm seeing for a, a decent one. I, I could see a standard bowling ball 30 years ago being 50 bucks. I could see mm. that. But, well, I mean, that liquid center sounds non-regulation to me. I think Homer would get in trouble in his bowling league. But, uh, the, well, also, the joke about it being the stealth bowler, like, it, it transported me back to just, in my childhood, how much the propaganda of that oh, stealth yeah. bomber was fucking everywhere, and it now is so weird to me. Like, did that thing ever do anything, or is it like those I planes mean, that can't fly in the rain and just like waste <laughs> a bunch of money? You know, <laughs> I don't think it's as wasteful as the F thirty five. I it, believe yeah. is the bad, the the very expensive, the it's, trillion dollar failure plane. It's why we can't have healthcare. No, nope. why why bother? Mm -hmm. Just uh, look at the plane and feel pride yeah. in your country. Put your hand over your failing heart, yeah. and feel pride. <laughs> Uh, and know that it's killing people. As you die of heart disease, it's <laughs> killing people too. I, but yeah, that stealth bomber. They talked it up so much. Like I, I think I probably had like stealth bomber toys because they just talked it up. And I'm just, sure I thought it was very cool. Like I probably imagined it was invisible, yeah, like Wonder Woman's yeah. plane or whatever. Uh, and that's why we had to have Desert Storm because we spent all this money on these fucking planes. You got to stealth bomb somebody. Now the idea of like, oh yeah, this will go by our enemies without radar. Like what? And we're going against guys who don't have an air force. What do you want? Uh, anyway, yeah, just the, the stealth bomber bit here is it really took me back to like how much they advertise the stealth bomber. Uh, and yes, Homer acting like the opposite of most sitcom dads by giving Bart terrible advice about how being popular is the only thing that matters. And if you have to do something bad to impress them, that's good. Do that. As long as you're not killing somebody. It's sort of like the Bart the Genius thing where they're just kind of reusing that same idea. It's like Homer is the catalyst for the bad things Bart does because of, uh, you know, the bad advice. And in Bart the General, where he tells oh, Bart the General, the, yeah. He gives, he gives him bad advice everywhere. Like that. Like, yeah. In, in Bart the Genius, he's like gives him terrible advice on how to go to school and how to uh, put on a clip on tie. Like they, they were getting a lot out of just the novelty of a sitcom dad who gives bad advice. Like now if you had a sitcom dad who gives good advice and stuff, it's, 
insane. You'd be like, wait, a good. Se-? That's why I like on Duncanville that the the dad is just a mushy old rock fan <laughs> who does want to do nice things. Like he's he's my favorite character on that show. I think I, I don't know how you feel, Matt. Yeah, definitely. The Ty Burrell, uh, his performance is really good. Yeah. I think he's really funny. I like him and Betsy Sodaro are the the two highlights of the show for me. I love that Betsy Sodaro's character is just drawn to be Betsy Sodaro. That's that's it's perfect. Like <laughs> and, I mean, she is hilarious. I I love her. Always so funny. Yeah. And then we get a very long silent <laughs> section of the yeah. show. Very shorts as well. Uh, I mean, Ninja Bart. The video game should have ripped this off. Have a ninja level. Just would have meant a st- an early stealth level. We don't want that. Uh, that's true. They, yeah. Uh, how can they pull off stealth on an NES game? Like, uh, and then like about twelve seconds of a sawing noise. Yeah, <laughs> boy, that's really. I love on the commentary. Richmore's like, boy, what a great sound. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love how uh, snarky Richmore is. Yeah. The uh, in good established geography. This is another of the moments where this feels like. Springfield has come together to me because so when Lisa walked to meet Bleedingham's Murphy, it's just a bunch of like tattoo parlor, scary thing, whatever. Yeah. When Bart walks at night into the town, he passes by Quickie Marty, passes by Candy Mo Standy. He he is going by the landmarks we've already established in the show. You get a real sense of what Springfield is here. And uh, he's lucky. Bart is lucky. That's a hollow statue, and not like uh, full bronze, too, because he easily removes the head. Though, in a way that the head can be placed back and stay in place. Yeah, which, with uh, no uh, adhesive or welding <laughs> involved. And uh, the second act ends, and the first act begins with more of that video editing stuff of just a very distractingly artificial pause on yeah. an establishing shot, like a zoom in on a still video frame, not even like a still piece of art. Yeah, and the, and the still is again a 1990s still so it's very artifacted and just uh you know on an hd television incredibly distracting and then they uh have their first of many times they parody the godfather horsehead scene of bart waking up to looking at the head on the other side of his pillow the best one was in lisa's pony though where the impossible shot like so the pony was in bed with lisa (laughs) (laughs) and she never heard or felt at any point Uh, but uh, as Bart wakes up, he he realizes the mistake he's made as the news is breaking. Ooh, look at this one. The Hammer of Thor. It will send your pinch to Valhalla, Lisa? Valhalla is where Vikings go when they die. Ooh, that's some ball. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> we interrupt Mambo in the morning to bring you the special news bulletin. The statue of Jebediah Springfield, our illustrious town founder, was brutally decapitated <gasps> last night in an act of senseless vandalism. We now go to Police Chief Wiggum at City Hall. Uh, uh, well, uh, we have no witnesses, no suspects, and no leads. If anyone has any information, please dial O and ask for the police. That number again. O. So another early Wiggum. Uh, I, I Second appearance. Yeah. So the first one was like talking about El Barto. And which yep. episode was that? Uh, the Homer's Odyssey. That's right. That's right. It's episode three. And uh, I forgot. I looked this up because it's not a great impression. But his original voice was like a David Brinkley uh, uh, voice. I, I thought I thought it was Walter Cronkite. But no, it's David Brinkley. It's, <laughs> it's on the record. But it, it would eventually change into Edward G. Robinson. Edgar or Edward? I always fuck that up. Uh, Edward? Edward. Yeah. Let's say Edward. No, Edgar. Edgar G. Robinson. Right. Okay. 
it yeah. uh, when this was too slow. <laughs> it's kind of slow. Yeah. I, uh, and this is the first time the joke is that he's stupid, I guess, to like, uh, number again? Oh. I guess he was too stupid to know who El Barto is when he's sitting right in front of him. That's true. Yeah. That's uh, I guess this is just a new depth of stupidity for him. But also, it's him in the position of what an actual chief of police would do, which is press conferences, not driving around in squad cars, answering everything a policeman would do in Springfield. Oh, by the way, it's Edward. So I oh, guess I was right. I want right. to see Edgar. I don't know why. <laughs> they, thank you for looking that up. Our listeners were probably shouting. There's already us, three so. comments. <laughs> Delete them now. <laughs> Uh, and yes, that's Mambo in the Morning, the uh, the season one runner of Mambo Love. You at the very start of that clip, you can hear a little Mambo playing as they're they're talking. And Homer's talking about the Hammer of Thor, Mjolnir, as we all know now mm. in the popular billion dollar films. All the kids know Mjolnir. Uh, though I knew it in 1992 because I knew it in 1990 as well because I was reading the Marvel comics. So Valhalla, Mjolnir, very important parts of the Marvel comic book world. I, I learned that because it was the name of the something awful content management system. Oh, really? So CMS <laughs> when I wrote for something awful. Oh, yeah. God. This, I, I hate hearing even the word CMS. CMS gives me nightmares. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, you, you, anyone who suffered in the content mines, no matter which place you worked at, I never heard from anybody that they're like, I love my CMS. Nobody liked it. Everyone is broken in a very different way. It's, it's <laughs> hilarious. I'm glad I don't have to work with those anymore. Patreon CMS is just like, just pop it in there. You're good. Yeah. I, you wrote it down the end. Yeah. It's, it's even easier than WordPress. Anyways. Uh, yeah. The, the, everybody's sadness at it, like the, the town crying about it here is it uh, it shows you what lisa was up against and lisa the iconoclast and this is like early homer sobbing in front of his family stuff too that i really like stay tuned to the station for further developments as they break <laughs> it's just a statue it's a statue of the trailblazing founder of our town it's a symbol of what we can all do if we put our minds to it just a statue as a statue of liberty just a statue is the Leaning Tower of Pizza just a statue? Uh-oh, school bus. <laughs> Come on, Lee, school bus. Go on. Mm. We've all got to be brave, just like Jebediah when he killed that bear. It's so awful. Okay, come on, come on, everybody. We gotta get on with our lives. Let's try and put this tragedy behind us. You're right, Mo. A beer, please, and make sure there's a head on it. <laughs> I said it before. <laughs> And I'll say it again. Hell in a handbasket. I hope they find the punk who did this, and I hope they cut his head off. So, yeah, uh, another instance of Homer getting a word wrong, Archie Bunker style, which yep. they kind of drop because it's like, oh, that's not that funny. <laughs> Leaning Tower of Pizza mm. is something you'd hear on like Ninja Turtles or something. <laughs> I thought that's mm. what it was called when I was seven. Oh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's a Leaning Tower of Pizza. Mm, and it just, and I did a Homer mm, when I think about it. <laughs> I think that's also an important moment there the cutaway to Moe's because I think in production order, at least this is the first scene that is fully Simpson free. Like mm. even, okay. So in say the episode where they introduce Monty Burns watching Homer, it is a scene between Monty and Smithers, but it begins as a zoom out from looking at Homer. Yeah. So Homer still starts the scene, but this is, and this isn't like a commercial on TV. That doesn't count either. This is just 
cutting to a scene somewhere where no Simpson family member is. And I guess they trust you to, uh, you know, know who these characters are. At this point, uh, it's impressive that they're like, yeah, just cut to Moe's bar. Like, it'd be funny. And I, I, I mean, they cut to Moe's bar because I think pro- it feels like a Reese joke of put a head on it or a gene joke, put a head on it. And then that reminds people about how the thing's got a no head and people start crying. You know, uh, Barney may be patriotic or, you know, believe in his town, but he's too much of an alcoholic to ask for beer with a head on it. Yeah. It's a waste of money. Yeah. Who asks for beer with a head? I on get it? mad at bad beer pours, <laughs> but I'm too much of a coward to be like, Hey, you know what? Like pour this again. It's like 20% head. Get out of here. My local pub lane splitter in Berkeley. They are masterful at pouring a beer. It's like riding the top of the glass you got to be careful with your first sip it's Ooh. perfect oh yeah i've been there yeah, yeah it's uh it, you get your money's worth you not you're not losing a single yeah. cent of your expensive bay area get beer. that foam out of here <laughs> who wants a head on a beer i don't understand that at all i though i i'm uh not a big beer fan either so i i'm the wrong person to make that pronouncement but mo's sobbing god yeah. it's so good the first time i think the first time azaria could really chew into the role of mo uh i it feels like he did it for the first time here like really getting mo but i i think that mike uh i want to know what matt thinks about this too because i think mike reese is right like this third act is uh not great and it's just like this there's not a lot of humor to be found in like everyone is sad over sure. something yeah and yeah, i can and it's like it's very sedate there's no energy to it and just ha- and like if anything, it feels like the beginning of a second act. Act mm. like it's just it it's just kind of boring. Cutting yeah. it up helps start the beginning a little better, but this one it does, and it's also like I think this episode looks pretty good. Mostly, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but all the nighttime scenes aren't redesigned or recolored to be nighttime. They just animated them with the same colors and then tinted oh, it. Oh yeah, which yeah. Right. So, like I think messes with the energy of all this happening that like during these supposedly dramatic scenes Homer and Bart about to be murdered by the entire town like I'm just like what am I looking at right now it's like kind of money <laughs> it looks like a, like in an old James Bond movie when it's shot day for night and you're mm. like this just looks like garbage this looks like nothing in the real world <laughs> that's a huge part of it I think a smaller part of it is the fact that like so much of this final these final scenes are not lip sync correctly it's just like using video yeah. effects to move mouths around to say things these characters weren't saying originally and just very swimmy not a lot of energy and uh, it was a wise decision to just break up that third act because Mm. like it's uh i don't even like the resolution both versions of it we'll be getting at that soon yeah uh, but the well, and the act pacing too. It should be the 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 time. The second act is the mistake, I think, because you start the episode with a traditional, even at this point, act one of the Simpsons do a thing, and this is the Simpsons go to church. What is the Simpsons going to church like? But then the second act of Bart hanging out with the bullies moves so slow that the full second act is hanging out with the bullies. In the middle of the second act is when he should cut off the head. I agree. And then and then deal with it. I'm, I'm thinking of cuts, and I think, like, the first act could end with him going to the movies. Second act starts with them getting kicked out. Like, yeah, save yeah. a minute. You get to save <laughs> the entire minute of, like, jokes and storytelling. And they mentioned it on the commentary, like, in, the, in one draft of the script, Lisa finds out before the rest of the family, and she's talking to Bart about it and like that would center it more on the the guilt like bart barely bart has 90 seconds to deal with guilt yeah in this episode like it yeah the, the balance is just 
too short, especially like when you take out a minute of the chase and put that at the start of the episode, then the third act's only briefer in in the rage of the town. Yeah. I uh though I will say I do love hearing Krusty call for mo- uh, mob style justice <laughs> yeah. here. Hi guys, what's up? We were just saying we'd love to meet the guy who cut off the head of that statue. Yeah, we wish you were here right now. Oh, really? Yeah, we'd break every bone in his stupid little body. Yeah, that's <laughs> right, man. Limb by limb. <laughs> yeah. What? But but yesterday, didn't you say it would be cool to cut off the head and really cheese everybody off? Yeah, that was just cloud talk, man. Yeah, I mean, throwing rocks is one thing. But I would never cut the head off of a guy who iced a bear with his bare hands. So what's in the bag, Bart? <gasps> I said, what's in the bag, Bart? Go ahead, Bart. Tell them. It's the head of Jebediah Springfield. I gotta go. I like, I do like the, sorry, that clip was before the crusty clip I was going to play, but I like that Bart does learn the important lessons that uh, your school chums have no consistency. And if you say like, but you said yesterday, that doesn't mean anything. It's an important lesson to learn. Yeah. (laughs) People are not consistent and it does. And if they have power over you, it doesn't matter if you can catch them up in a lie. We don't know that Jebediah is a fraud yet though. That's true. Yeah. Well, (laughs) there's a good joke later that he he is. Modern historians are already judging the the lies of his myths. I know I caught it before where I was like, Oh, like from the very beginning, they're like, this is all a lie. This is all just founded on a lie. Uh, But, uh, but that was just cloud talk, man. That's line of the episode. That's definitely line of the episode. All right, let's hear the jingle. That's the joke. Good. I mean, that was just cloud talk, man. Like they, they understand the difference between a cloud, between cloud conversations and yeah. regular normal. I think that was like a like a weed joke. Like oh, we were just we were just high, man. Okay. The cloud talk. I like them sitting around. Keep off the grass. Uh, sign yeah. too. That's, that's I'm just thinking of how all these things are in Bart versus Space Mutants. Yeah, you're right. Wow, this <laughs> this is most of the level design in that season or that uh, first stage. Uh, also, oh yeah, when when Abe says hell in a handbasket, another freakish woman, the 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 woman in the wheelchair, she has a wor- she's she's Earthworm Jim. <laughs> she's Earthworm Jim. She's <laughs> she was featured in our uh, gallery of hideous characters at the live show. Uh, and yes, Bart walks away while hearing the voice in his head. Like you said, the voice, the telltale head starts here, but it's but he it, talks <laughs> very slow, Bart. There's not much comedy with it either, but uh, we do get to see the unlikely pairing of Mr. Burns and Mo (laughs) Sislak in this show. Two of the most hateful characters, like, sharing a scene. Mm. I wanted them to like me. Mm. The child seems rattled. Can you blame him? No, no, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) There, there, Mr. Burns. Closer. Where are you going? Uh, to my room. Why don't you watch Krusty the Clown? There's someone out there in Krusty Land who has committed an atrocity. If you know who cut off Jebediah's head, <laughs> I don't care if it's your brother, your sister, your daddy, or your mommy. Turn him in, and Krusty will send you a free slide whistle just like Sideshow Bob. Uh, that's a weird Krusty voice, but I kind of like it. Turn him in. Jebediah's head. <laughs> uh, I think Dan is doing a, an impression, a impersonation of a local clown named Cookie. Oh, Cookie yeah. the clown. I remember from a commentary because I'm Cookie. Uh, oh yes. Well, uh, Cookie, I, I, in my 
area growing up as a kid, we got WGN on cable. Uh, so I watched a lot of Chicago Bozo and they had a new Bozo in my youth, but Cookie continued from the previous Bozo that was Dan's youth. He was that old. And so I knew Cookie the Clown very there, well. There were no uh, local clowns. In fact, the woman who uh, hosted the cartoon block was just like a regular lady. Oh. Like not uh, even like with puppets, just like a, like a lady in a sweater. Like See, a nice lady. On on my Fox network in the 90s, we had, he wasn't a clown, he was a dude in a safari costume named Safari Sam. That was okay. his name. So, uh, but not a clown. Uh, I believe so. If you were in the Ohio area, let me know. It was uh, Channel 43 WUAB, I think, the Cleveland station. I think her name was Liz. Just this lady named Liz. Like, I'm Liz. DuckTales is coming up next. I'm Liz. What's up? <laughs> That's my dream job, just to like put, just get something off the costume rack and just talk, just talk about cartoons on TV for five minutes. Uh, just five minutes a day or five minutes an hour. Just be like, I'm sure she was like a production assistant on something else or just like an editor somewhere. She's like, hey, Liz, you want to talk about like uh, Goof Troops coming up, right? Get you behind in front of the camera. Yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, Krusty is very much the regional cartoon host of the Boomers and even, even more so here, Dan hadn't fully figured out his voice at all he's pretty much it's very similar to the shorts voice he had done before like i am crusty i just love jebediah's head <laughs> uh, so like uh, there's a great there's a great uh, story on some commentary about algene going to a local bozo taping and then being sat on accidentally yes. by bozo and crying <laughs> he's detroit area bozo yeah that's uh yeah i and meanwhile but uh, like crusty was for matt inspired by rusty nails who he grew up with in the in the portland area a christian clown named rusty nails <laughs> put it together uh oh yeah okay yeah. i get it now uh oh. yeah, so which is why crusty crusty is one of the best characters on simpsons because so many great people cared about him like graining cared in the first part castellanetta loved doing the voice david silverman loves drawing him as did brad bird and silverman and bird are the two best or most influential artists on simpsons ever i'd say other than Mac Raining. So you have all the top people who like, they love Krusty. And then on top of that, he can just be every Johnny Carson joke they wanted to make too, or Jerry Lewis joke. Like he's it's the perfect vehicle for all of that. Oh God. I love it. And what a humble series beginning for Krusty here. Yeah. Bart never held this against him. Just like Krusty <laughs> was trying to mur leading a mob to murder you yeah, and calling for your death on live television. Well, I think Bart knew he had it coming. He yeah. did. He did. Bart knows he's wrong. Wrong. So uh, I, I also it's very like childish the way Lisa says, why don't you watch Krusty? Like it's not with the intelligence Lisa normally says things. And of course, we have the first appearance of a very important character here. Sideshow Bob. All right. In fact, they had the design they were going to use for Krusty gets busted, but they couldn't get it fixed in time. Yeah. So this is an older drawing or an older version of him. Yeah, I, I believe it was when they do Krusty gets busted. Brad Bird has them redesign the character to be a much better looking lead villain of their story. While meanwhile, you have like just the ridiculous, like just coconut looking guy they have in this one. Who, uh, he, his, his weird just 
puffy hair. God, it yeah. makes me think of just how great a design Sideshow Bob is. We'll talk about it. But uh, Nina, I talked about her earlier. She drew Bongo comics for a long time and all the characters. And because of her, I know how many points there are on like Bart's head and Lisa's head. But I was like, how many points are there on Marge's? Like, how many bumps are there? And she explained <laughs> it to me. I want to know if she's ever drawn Sideshow Bob. That seems like a lot of bumps to think oh, about God, yeah. on that palm tree head. <laughs> yeah. But, but here, they introduce Sideshow Bob as a silent guy who only speaks with his slide whistle. It's hard to remember a time where you're supposed to be surprised that Frazier's voice comes out of him, but that's why they're doing it. They they knew that by the end of the season, Sideshow Bob would be speaking, so they set him up as a non-speaking slide whistle guy. Oh. And, and it's, uh, yeah, they... They, I would guess that they had this re- this d- character design, and then a matter of weeks later, they redesigned him for the twelfth episode. This is sixth. No, that's thirteenth. Sorry. Yeah. So weeks go by. I would think by the time the animation starts coming back for this episode, they knew that Bob looks different. But this episode has so many retakes in it, I would think there's not money in the budget to redo Sideshow Bob. Yes, very important first appearance of Sideshow Bob here in the sixth production episode. So we have a Apu, we have Lovejoy, we have Sideshow Bob, Jim Dolphin Kearney, Mr. Dandy, uh, <laughs> Jebediah Springfield. Yep. It's a whole like uh, murderer's row of <laughs> memorable characters. All the, all the most famous characters. And then all the characters we met beforehand are hanging out with each other, mm-hmm. too. Yes. So Bart is deciding he's going to bury his problems in the backyard. But Jebediah talks him out of it. They even give lip sync to the head talking him out of it. And these these moments also just feel very like very special episode to me. They feel too much like a regular boring 80s cartoon of like the kid learns a lesson. Yeah. I mean, I think they would subvert this idea later uh, yeah. in a lot of great ways, but it is very stock. Like, well, Bart has to learn his lesson. Bart has to feel bad that he did something bad and then learn something. <laughs> they approach it at least a little bit where Bart's like, mm, I know you want me to have courage now, but I'm just too scared. And he just buries him and or continues. And Jebediah goes like, well, OK, but if you change your mind, like. Uh, but then Bart does change his mind very quickly after. Also because they are running out of time yeah. in this episode. So Bart reveals the truth to his family. Jebediah Obadiah Zachariah Jedediah Springfield came west in 1838. Along the way, he met a ferocious bear and killed him with his bare hands. That's B-A-R-E, hands. Although modern historians recently uncovered evidence that the bear, in fact, probably killed him. <laughs> Mother bear Mom, killed Dad. <gasps> I knew it all along! Why, Bart? Why? <laughs> yeah, why, you little... Because I wanted some really bad kids to like me. Somehow I got the idea that being popular was the most important thing in the world. Where did you get a ridiculous idea like that? Uh, lay off the boy, Marge. He's a good kid. Quit giving him the third degree. Mm, Homer, did you have something to do with this? Well, maybe I am a little responsible. A little? Come on, son. Let's take the head thing back to the authorities. The show already knows that why you little is Homer's catchphrase. <laughs> You're right, yeah. I like his, I knew it all. That's great. <laughs> it's also so distracting in this. This is the third time in this episode. If they're watching television and it's interrupted, it keeps playing, playing in the yeah. background. Same with the news reporter kept talking while Marge and Homer were talking on Mambo in the morning. I guess so. What was playing in the background? I just wasn't noticing that for that clip. It, it sounded like more of the documentary. Uh, it was just more talking about the documentary. I, it, it's just 
you can I I could hear dialogue, but I couldn't parse out what it I was. I guess at least it's not a loud cowboy show. That's just what's normally <laughs> happening in this season. But when you're doing sound design, I guess it makes like, you know, realistic sense of if a family member interrupts you with socking information, you don't turn off the television. You just start shouting at the person. But in the world of Simpsons, as a presentation of plot points, you just have the TV go silent, even if you're interrupted <laughs> by something dramatic. So I think uh, they, they did the better choice for telling a story, I think. Also, as long as we're giving notes on like bad animation <laughs> or mistakes, for most of this scene, Homer is looking like Shrek to me because <laughs> in, in, thir- in three-quarter views, his, his ear on the opposite oh, yeah. side of his head keeps being visible. And I'm just like, what? No, stop that. Stop. Homer's ear is not that, supposed to be That's visible. really weird. Yeah. You're totally right about that. He looked like Shrek. He to look, quote We Hate Movies. <laughs> yeah, he looked was, like Shrek. That was, a, that was a We Hate Movies reference there. But <laughs> it was just very distracting to me how Homer's ear kept floating over. I mean, it was clearly just a mistake on the on the animation side they read the instructions wrong on the on the character guide but it really takes you out of it i i also like on the commentary they gina reese agree that they couldn't do this part bit here where homer recognizes his own words that were said before like he wouldn't remember them that's true yeah they they i mean there's many jokes in future simpsons where homer's like who the hell said that like he cannot remember what he said a day earlier because as he as he recalls, he uh, he likes stories. So, <laughs> That's almost, true. Uh, so then we come back to where the episode started. I love the comedy of catching up to the flashback and the characters are all like, "We heard this part. We it's, just had that." It's been a while since I've seen this, so I was like, "Why are they playing this part again?" And then like Krusty interrupts and like, "Oh, that's funny. That's funny." Yeah, and and they even get to play twice in a row. Homer saying, "I pulled a few boners in my day." And uh, and then we get back to the ending here. I like that it's Krusty and Barney who are shouting to end this flashback too. Uh, but and this is all ADR, right? This is all like redone. Yeah, I mean, like a most any line that is talking about the flashback that's entirely redone. Yeah. ADR and and uh, rock and roll voices. Some uh, some things are. Like Krusty going, like I don't feel like killing anymore. That yeah. that felt like a, a like an ADR line. You know, I think that might be really the real line there. That okay, one, I think but. it's hard to tell sometimes because it's it's a bit a mess. Well, in this ending, people have different memories of this ending because there are different versions of it. Oh man, yes, we got to get into this because like. 20 million people saw this one at first aired, yep. so we should all have memories of what it was. But the first airing is different than the airing that's on the DVDs, but Disney Plus has the first airing that was not available since it aired. Yeah, it's huh. really crazy. So the my memory of this is the original airing ending because we taped it off TV. So if I was ever to watch a season one episode, it would be off of the original broadcast we taped. In, I think, even its second airing, like in regular Fox primetime reruns, they had changed the ending. Because it's bad. It's, it's a bad ending. It's a bad yeah. ending. It's very distracting looking. And it's so funny that that, that mistake they made is now available to all on <laughs> Disney+. Plus. So, yeah, for syndication, they cha- they it was this uh, briefer, better ending. On the DVD, it's, I would say, the better ending. And I think it was on fxx as well or the the simpsons now thing that they were doing pre-disney plus i think it was a dvd version too but somehow 
it is the original airing version in the HD-ified widescreened Disney Plus version, which is crazy because like two years ago, you sent me the link to this, Bob, just so I would remember it. I thought this would where I'd have to source it was Daily Simpsons did a post of the original ending saying like, yeah, this extra 28 seconds here is cut out of DVDs and iTunes and FXX. It's not anywhere. So I'm posting the video, which was what I thought the situation was. So I saved the audio off of that. But when I was getting the original audio off of Disney Plus to play on this thing, that's when I was shocked. Like, wait, it's the original ending. I couldn't believe that. Yeah. It, uh, well, well here, why don't we hear the DVD ending first and the, the happy ending to the episode? You know, Bart, when I was your age, I pulled a few boners. And I think you'll find that people are pretty decent if you give them half. Oh, look, there it is. The head. We know this part. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, that's my story. And if you still want to tear apart this young Sunday school student as he stands on the brink of salvation, I await your wrath. Somehow I don't feel like killing anymore. Neither do I. (laughs) Forgive me, sir. No problem, Bart. Look, it's glorious. It's beautiful, man. I love you, Smithers. The feeling is more than mutual, sir. But remember, most lynch mobs aren't this nice. So that is the fixed ending. Yes. And I guess what happens is, I don't like either ending, but I guess what happens in this one is Bart's like, I made a mistake. Here's now the Now that I told you the whole story, yeah. will, will you kill me? And they're like... No, no, we won't. They just yeah. go, oh, now that we've heard the whole story, we like, won't kill you. The audience has the context of hearing the whole story, which is why they forgive Bart. The version we don't see is the script. And yeah. I want to know like how Bart gets out of it in the script, because in the script, in the original edit that we've never seen, that's never aired, this third act happens all in one chunk, and the audience is not being told the story. So yeah. I, I really wonder like what was in that original script. Yeah, I think maybe there's a little extra Bart says... But I think what originally turned their minds was just his moral of the story speech that is is part of the original uh, ending, which I'll play in a sec. But but then again, his mouth movements are so off in that yeah. too that I don't think it's exactly right either. If we get Mike Reese on the horn again, we got to say like, what was your script for this? <laughs> like, how did Bart get out of this? Because this is not super satisfying. You only have the context of the people knowing the story, which is why they forgive him. But yeah. that was also a fix. So yeah. it just. Uh, but we can talk. Like we can play what? the uh, the first airing version of this. Yeah, here's here's the original ending. You know this part. Oh yeah, right. Well, that's my story. And if you still want to tear apart this young Sunday school student as he stands on the brink of salvation. I await your wrath, but I'd like to add one thing. It wasn't until I removed the head of Jebediah Springfield that we realized we were taking our heritage for granted. That was a crime, too. One I think we are all guilty of. The kids got us there. (laughs) And I know that I'll always feel an inner shame far greater than any punishment you could dish out. Far, far greater. Far, 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 far greater. 
Somehow I don't feel like killing anymore. Neither do I. Yeah. Forgive me, sir. No problem, Bart. It's glorious. It's beautiful. I love you, Smithers. Feeling is more than mutual, sir. And no line from Homer. No line end. from Homer. Yeah. Like, and they pl- have like, uh, It's a Wonderful Life bells playing at the yeah. end there, kind of. And also, Rich Moore remembers a version of the ending that was Homer saying, I can't wait to get home and start punishing you. I, to bet, I bet that's what his original lipstick could have been. Yeah. Like the, I mean, what Homer says there in the very, like, it, it honestly looks like he's green screened in over the ending <laughs> yeah. and the credits. They're kind of like floating <laughs> by like Muppets almost. Uh, but it drove me crazy watching this on dvd the first time it was one of those like am i misremembering things thing because i didn't remember bart's corny ass speech but i did remember far 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 greater yeah me too just because it's just so awkward you know yeah so that really took me out of it i now as as daily simpsons uh said it the reason they had bart say the moral of the story was as he says quote fox requested the episode comply with the fcc's 1989 ruling that every serial animated show transmitted include at least 28 seconds of educational content Hmm. but i think that's kind of bullshit because no previous episode had that i think that could be conjecture on yeah. their part not I mean, to like throw uh, mud or anything they do a great <laughs> job that account but i'd like oh, to yeah. see a source on that because i honestly feel like they realize like oh man bart has to learn something there's no satisfying way out of this again we don't know what the original script had but it's like let's have bart convince the audience by saying you know actually you're guilty too because you didn't care until i hurt the statue so in a way we're both wrong which is not satisfying in any way no it's not set up even slightly like that. yeah and the way the characters just offhandedly go like well he's got us there it's just like it's it's really like pointing out how stupid that is that they're like oh we all change our minds now we were going to murder a child together but now that you've said this and even that the way it's like but i like to add one thing it's just like here's the edit you know yes that's it's like the, uh, that's the harsh back to his home planet matt uh which ending do you prefer it's it's very strange oh the more concise shorter one i mean i agree with you that i don't quite like either one that much but uh and yeah that whole like every episode needing that kind of uh educational content i don't think is that that's unfounded i think yeah Yeah. me too i mean look did every gi joe or he-man or whatever end with one of those things like yeah they did but if this were true, then every previous Simpsons would have that. And only really Bart the General does. And that was fully a choice by Matt Groening, not forced on them by Fox. And it's a, it's an unsatisfying moral because it's a boy trying to get out of being murdered. Yeah, so he's just like, how joke. do I spin my way out of this? That's the joke. I, yeah. You know, uh, I think the best version would be the one between the two. Because when you take out all that stuff, Bart just says... And if you want to take my life, well, then you can. Oh, like that. It's such a hard cut. And also the soundtrack just hard cuts. Like Bart said, no music's behind him when he says uh, this Sunday school boy. And, but then music comes in behind them and they go, oh, like it's it's really distracting when you know that's where the cut is now. I think the far, 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 far greater thing, that's at least funny in that he's saying like, you could murder me, but I felt uh, punishment even worse than that already. Way, way worse. So you definitely don't need to kill me. Like, that's kind of funny to me at least. But 
the ending gag of having Homer walk by and say lynch mobs are not normally this understanding, that's funnier than just having everybody look at a statue over just the credits. A happy yeah. moment, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's it's a mess either way. I am just now so confused by why disney plus has the original version on there now yeah and i also so i know of another cut they made for later airings and that's in uh, marge gets a job where bart pretends to have tourettes in the original airing but later it's edited to say he has rabies Mm. as the joke and uh uh, the rabies edit is in disney plus yeah So who knows what they were given, but they were given this version of this episode. Man, I'm fully confused by it. uh, Maybe they don't have the, like, masters of the altered version and so if they're thinking about what looks better in hd it's mm. the it's the original I, I don't know but uh oh i did forget to say at the start another weird thing they have the title of the episode on screen like it says the oh, telltale yeah. head of the start it's an odd odd choice there the other one would be like episode 25 barkets hit by a car right yes yeah i mean i guess if you have the christmas special but that actually isn't the title that's on the of the episode is really something wrong on fire um <laughs> And yeah, we already talked about it, but the uh, Smithers saying the feeling is more than mutual, sir. First gay joke for the character. And Sam Simon's idea, look, let's quietly make him gay. Yeah, yeah, which uh, as a kid did not get that at all. I didn't I didn't even know the what the intention of saying the feeling is mutual. I didn't know that as an aphorism. I'm sure I didn't kid. either, yeah. yeah. So let alone the idea that one could be gay. And but so- <laughs> uh, what a fascinating uh, Simpsons mystery. There's yeah. like three endings, two of them aired uh, to this episode, and it's <laughs> kind of a huge mess but yeah. still brought so much to the simpsons world My all these God, characters and this, events this uh, the springfield history that this brings to the series cannot be overstated like this the, there would be springfield mob episodes multiple times a season after this and it, i think it's because it works so well as a story device here and just showing all your wacky characters in one place even if this is a total mess they of continue an episode. punishing animators for years to come yep, by yeah. making them draw giant moving crowds uh, but man any final thoughts yeah as far as season one goes it's uh i would say slightly below average episode uh it created you know a big event that uh became a big part of simpsons history and and it can be commended for that but i think you put a solid b story in with this and it's much better it's it's weird that it's just kind of this a story and then a bunch of threads that don't get delivered on i i would just like to see you know what's going on with the rest of the family because i think it's really thin to spread it over a whole episode but it's it's definitely not the worst in the season. It's it's just fine, I they, think. They should have shown Homer playing with his new bowling ball. Yeah. Like that. At least yeah. deliver on that. Or at least uh, reacting in some way, or, or Lisa dealing with the town in some way, or, or even, you know, to give Marge anything to do. You anything know, it, to it's do just, other than It's just Bart kind of walking around for a whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, yeah. yeah. So, Matt, uh, please tell us where we can find you online, Twitter, and your two Patreons, which do a lot of great podcasts. Yeah, thank you. I uh, I'm on Twitter at Mr. Matt J. Uh, I make the Deep End, the show we mentioned earlier, where uh, Steve Yurko and I are going through every show ever aired on Adult Swim. Uh, the episode uh, that we're about to do is Ballmasters, uh, a recent show. We recently also did Joe Para talks with you season two. Mm. We did Neon Genesis Evangelion. We're trying to hit them all, so check that out. Uh, that also has a Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/The Deep End, where we're going through uh, a we have a weekly show where we talk about every episode of The Venture Brothers, our favorite show in the world. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, a monthly show is also on that Patreon where we talk about different Adult Swimish 
shows like uh, Archer or Golden Boy or Acceptable TV, MTV's. Oh, we did undergrads. Uh, we know you guys are big fans of undergrads. <laughs> yes. I'm glad you did it so we don't have to now. <laughs> yes, never. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's terrible show. Uh, but uh, Friday the Series is also a terrible show that we did. We've, we've done some really good and really bad shows there. Uh, and as we also mentioned earlier, I make Cartoons 101 at Patreon.com. says Cartoons 101 where I... Uh, I've interviewed people who, who are behind some of your favorite shows like The Simpsons and Mission Hill, uh, OKKO, okay Steven Universe, uh, Looney Tunes, all kinds of stuff there. And, and I go through other series like we mentioned, the Bakshi series, the Don Bluth series, Satoshi Kon doing the non-Disney Renaissance series right now. So please check that out. And uh, if you're in Los Angeles, come to Channel 101 uh, at the Downtown Independent. The last Saturday of every month, people submit five-minute pilots and... Uh, the audience can vote if it'll come back and get another episode. Uh, I am currently in the top two shows right now. Oh, cool. Uh, Red nice. And uh, yeah, it's it's great. Everyone, please come to Channel 101. It's the best. Dan Harmon started it in 2003, and it's still going strong. Uh, some of your favorite stuff has come out of that. Like, uh, you know, like I said, Dan Harmon, Rick and Morty. Lonely uh, Island. Tim and Eric. Lonely Island, yeah. And uh we they also have a Patreon now that I helped them start because I produced the podcast. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's it's really we're going through every screening ever. So starting in two thousand three, wow, and uh, Aaron and Adam, the two people that run Channel One Hundred One, we were, we're watching everything from the screening, talking about it, talking about where everyone's careers were at the time, like Jack Black and Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub, and and uh, hopefully we'll make it to the current screenings at some point. It's it's how the underemployed improvisers uh, use their time, but prior to podcasts, that's <laughs> the main thing they did. Yeah, if you're fed up with the way that TV and and film uh, uh, industries work, then come to Channel 101 and make literally whatever you want and put it on a movie screen in front of hundreds of people. Uh, but thank you so much, Matt. It's always great to have you back on the show. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Yeah, thanks so much. It was yeah, it's been too long. Please have me back again soon. I agree. So thanks again to Matthew J for being on the podcast. Be sure to check out all of his stuff. But if you want to support our stuff and get all kinds of extra bonuses on top of that and all of our episodes one week ahead of time and ad-free, please head on over to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. And if you sign up at the $5 level, you'll get just that, but also access to uh, so many bonus podcasts, everything behind the $5 paywall, including all of our miniseries. The most recent one was Talking Futurama Season 2 Part 1, but there will be a new one coming in April of 2020 and another one hitting in the fall. So two new miniseries for the Talking Simpsons Network, but you have to be a $5 patron to hear them. And the next one is coming very, very soon. And in fact, as of this recording, people are still voting for it. So who knows what it'll, yeah. it'll be. We don't yeah. know yet, but you might know by now. <laughs> I thought you, the yes, you will know by now yes, what it is. Yes, but yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll be surprised. But yes, uh, Henry, can you tell everyone what's happening at the $10 level? Extra long podcast every month for our $10 patrons about a movie. That's correct. You get all that $5 stuff, but for 10 bucks a month, you also get the monthly What a Cartoon Movie Podcast, where me and Bob talk about an animated feature film at length in the same Talking Simpsons style. But because it's about a movie, it's way longer, sometimes four and a half hours long. We have done so many great films in the past. Our most, uh, the one that will be coming this month that you'll be able to hear if you sign up at the $10 level is the SpongeBob SquarePants movie from 2004, the original play and ending of spongebob series and if you uh you'd also get to hear all the backlog including last month's the great mouse detective and so many other great ones so please consider going to the premium level 10 bucks a month at patreon.com slash talking simpsons 
So as for me, I have been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. You can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. I have another podcast, by the way. It's called Retronauts. It's a classic gaming podcast. And we have a Patreon, too. If you head on over to patreon.com slash retronauts and sign up there, you'll get an extra two episodes every month that aren't available on the free feed wherever you find podcasts. So please head on over to patreon.com slash retronauts and check it out if you want to get two extra episodes of that every month. And you can follow me, Henry Gilbert, on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. I'm sure to tweet about whenever new stuff happens in the world of talking simpsons network as well as lots of other thoughts plus if you're following me on twitter at h-e-n-e-r-e-y-g also follow the official twitter account of this podcast at talk simpsons pod it retweets when me and bob have announcements about the podcast and you'll stay in the loop whenever new podcasts of talking simpsons or what a cartoon come out so please on twitter follow at talk simpsons pod Thanks so much for joining us, folks. We'll see you next week for Life on the Fast Lane, and we will see you then. You embarrassed us in front of the whole congregation, and today's sermon was one you should have really listened to. What was it about? Gambling. Oh. He didn't by any chance say that under certain circumstances it was all right, did he? No!